Hi, uh, this is Darren here, and I'm joined by Andrew. Hello, hi. Um, so very, very quickly, just doing a quick intro in front of our podcast. Last year, Andrew and I did a very insane thing for a very good cause, uh, where we recorded an 18-hour live podcast to support the Irish Cancer Society for Daffodil Day. That's right. Um, Huge day um, each year for the Irish Cancer Society, where a very, a very large portion of their fundraising happens that day. Now, yeah. this year, of course... It's a little bit different. Yes, this year it's been cancelled. Um, it's been estimated that they raised about €4 million Euro, uh, through Daffodil Day to account for 20% of their annual budget. They only receive 3% of their funding from the state. They're usually dependent on this. Um, COVID-19 crisis has meant that they've had to cancel and suspend this year's Daffodil Day. And the implications are huge. It's a charity that is very close to my heart, very close to Andrew's heart. Yeah, um, we both know people who have had or who, who have um, a, a cancer and people who've suffered from it. And the services the Irish Cancer Society provide are, are kind of immeasurable in terms of improving quality of life and improving awareness and supporting um, as well. So what we would like to request from listeners, um, and again, completely understand, um, if not, but just to, to raise awareness of it, if you do have a little bit of money and if you do enjoy the podcast, even if you don't enjoy the podcast, but also have a little bit of money, um, we would like to recommend that maybe you make a donation uh, to the Irish Cancer Society to help make up the difference. Um, every little helps. So you can donate uh, directly at cancer.ie, which is the website. Uh, but you can also donate via text if you're based in Ireland um, as well. And if you text the word cancer uh, to 50300, that number again is 50300. And that will make a couple of euro donation uh, to the Irish Cancer Society. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time and we hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. Hello, Darren. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well um, in, um, uh, in, 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 in partial isolation. Um, yeah, in, in, in enjoying, enjoying the, the um, yeah, I'm, I'm one, one, one of the lucky ones. Uh, difficult time for a lot of people, but I'm 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 I'm, I'm doing very well. Good, glad to hear that's that. That's uh, that's the good news story that isn't getting out there enough. <laughs> yeah, it's that many <laughs> people aren't people having that... psychological breakdowns while self isolating or removing yeah, themselves yeah. from society. What yeah. about their stories, and Andrew? The good news as well is that while Darren might be having a psychological breakdown, he's not going to tell any of his friends. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so you're free of the burden of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the kind of guy who won't trouble anyone with it, um, <laughs> which is nice. But yes, so um, what we normally do around this time of year on the podcast is we normally invite the the guys of the cast uh, from When Irish Eyes Are Watching uh, to come over and kind of talk about an Irish movie. We typically do it for St. Patrick's Day. Didn't happen this year. Some other stuff was happening that maybe got in the way of our little podcast. Um, but we're very glad to have uh, both Alex uh, Towers. Hi, Alex. Hello. Happy to be here. 
Um, and Sean Driver joining us uh, from When Irish Eyes Are Watching to talk about this most Irish of films, Guy Ritchie's 2000 gangster caper, Snatch. We should also say... It is an Irish film, right? It, well, I suppose it is. It's Irish characters. We also say joining, we are maintaining the adequate social distance and doing all of this via Zoom. We, just to, oh, yes. Just to make uh, sure. We are. Yeah, um, I'd like to go back to uh, Andrew's partial isolation, which <laughs> for me, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> No, as as in as in I'm 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 not the only person in my household is what I mean. So like yeah. I thought you were saying uh, you were partial uh, to isolation personally. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was it that statistic that they want to cut down seventy five percent of social contact so you can you know still go out once every four days? And they're like, no, that's not how it works at all. Um, oh really? But yes, save it all up. Uh, yeah, sort of like ration it, basically. But yes, we are. Alex is entirely correct. We are um, adhering to a safe protocol. We'll all, we're all recording remotely. There may be some variable quality in audio as a result of that. We're figuring out. Please bear with us. Um, but yes, we're, so... We're, we're, we're the, like, the listeners can't see it, but we're in four little video boxes. <laughs> and um, yeah. And then if... if um, uh, we do, we don't we don't we don't want to 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 reveal like Darren if you're getting up don't walk into the back of my um, uh, video because that will that, <laughs> give the game away that will spoil <laughs> the illusion yeah um, but yeah so um, thank you very much for joining us guys so yeah so let's talk a little bit about Snatch because Snatch is one of the the big films it's been on the list since it was uh, released it entered the list in January two thousand and one. It's been there ever since. What's interesting about it is that while many films tend to fall or drop off as they get older, they tend to move down the list. This is a film that's constantly moved up the list. It's currently the 100th best film of all time, according to IMDb. Wow. Um, it is oh. higher than Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which we covered last year as part of our Summer of 99 season. Um, do you guys remember when you first saw Snatched and what, Snatch and what your reaction to it was? Yeah, um, this was a funny one because this is one of the like early films I remember from primary school as being sort of, um, and I think I've talked about this idea on, on every time I've come on this podcast before, but it was definitely one of those like early films from, um, you know, the millennium just when I was sort of at the tail end of primary school. And I remember it more as people talking about it rather than like I heard so much about this film before I actually saw it because it was one of these ones that everyone was talking about. And the funny thing is the things that like 10-year-olds focus on out of this film kind of you know portray it as as actually being quite different like i remember everyone was talking about the pigs uh eating bodies and this sounded so like gross and weird and horrible that um when you actually watch the film and it's much more of like a cheeky caper you know it really made it sound like silence of the lambs when i was hearing about it at, at 10 years old well, Hannibal actually, because there's there's a weird there's a weird pop cultural moment in late two thousand where man yeah. and pigs were everywhere. Um, people sort of credit that to Babe, <laughs> the unexpected influence of Babe, uh, where it's like, okay, yeah. pigs have had their cute moment. Because you know, the again, this is one of those uh, things that's not really related to the movie. Interesting fact about pigs: they're cannibals. Uh, when people when farmers raise pigs, they actually have to remove their incisors and some of the tusks from them as well, because if they don't, they will eat each other. Yeah, we, 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 we were told visiting a pig farm not to give them um, ham sandwiches. But it, it, it turns out that's like the thing that they want the most. Yeah, I think that's more um, about us. <laughs> yeah. We don't like the idea of, of, of animals eating, eating their own kind. Yeah, it's the only thing stopping us from eating each other. And, and, this, and, this, and this COVID-19 thing. 
I mean, this has been very bad for 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 cannibals who put ads up on Craigslist. Let's not date the podcast too much, guys. Let's pretend COVID nineteen is not happening. <laughs> yeah, sorry, COVID twenty. Let's, let's 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 record different versions yeah. of it where, where we use different numbers. Yeah. But Sean, what about yourself? Me, uh, like yeah, to echo what Alex said. Uh, this is kind of a, a child's idea of what an adult movie is, you yeah. know? Um, I, I mean, in my house and within my family, this was always a very popular movie because it was one of the early DVDs we bought. And it wasn't quite the stage where you had a VHS and you watched it a hundred th- times. It was a bit later than that. We got a DVD, maybe five DVDs a year, and you watched them 10 times. So I found myself both dreading watching this again and also really looking forward to it because I kind of... And, you know, captured a moment in time when everyone in my family was doing the Germans and things like yeah. that, you know, and I was like, right. so, uh, yeah, it was, um, my, my older brother who kind of was a big fan of this movie. And of course he was 18. He used to watch it with his like eight year old brother. So that was, uh, you know, the good times. <laughs> I think, yeah, the, and the, 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 the movie, the memory of the movie is rich because, uh, for, for me as well, because not only did I conflate this with, with with parts of Hannibal that aren't in this movie. I also kind of, I think I spoke about it when we did Lockstock, that I can't kind of separate the two movies apart um, very well in, 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 in my mind. I probably can now, but given a little bit of... That's something... Yeah. That, that threw me as well, because like one of the things that kind of put me off seeing this film is even at like nine, I was one of these nerds who was like, I can't see the sequel to a film without seeing the original one. I'm I'm not watching Babe Two: Pig in the City without watching Babe. And 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 my understanding of this at nine was that this was a a sequel to Lock Stock. Like everyone was talking about. It. And again, because of like children didn't, as Sean said, children didn't really understand this film, but would were sort of obsessed with it. And people would sort of say like, Oh yeah, Vinnie Jones is in it, and he's in both of them, and he's playing the same character, and he's playing very similar characters in both. But he's yeah. It, it was only years later that, that I realized, no, they're not sequels at all. They just have the same cast, and they're set in that same kind of world, and um, same storytelling yeah. style, exactly, um, yeah. same approach to character. Yeah. But that also threw me off because I did not want to watch a sequel to a film that um, I had not seen the original one too. The yeah the the. Um... Like a fish called Wanda had um, that was an actual sequel, but there was there was no need for it to have to have to have been a sequel. They just make some reference to oh yes, I knew someone called Wanda once. Yeah, um, fierce, fierce but is, creatures. Yeah. Fierce, fierce creatures. But is 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 he is he running a a um, a zoo or something? Yeah, <laughs> like he's went from being a barrister. Like obviously, he does. There's probably things that he's done that that have that have gotten him kind of st- uh, struck off the bar. Um, but um, yeah, he's running a zoo. Um, that's uh, that's the yeah. Matt Damon sort of follow up. Was it we we ran a zoo um, after we knew a fish called Wanda? Um, but very, very yeah. quickly, actually, because that's that's an interesting point that Alex brings up in terms of the relationship between this and Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Because after Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels was made, um, it was hugely popular in the US. It garnered a lot of attention uh, from kind of distributors, from studios, and from actors as well. Um, several of the Hollywood actors who appear here actually approached Richie after watching Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and were like, "We really want to be in your next movie." The studios themselves. Like- Vinnie Jones's son 
<laughs> from the first movie. It's like, can I, can I, can I please be in your movie? You got a like a hard pass. Um, <laughs> um, but, poor guy. But um, the the thing is that after the success of Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, studios approached Richie and offered him actual studio projects. He was offered, for example, Gone in fifty, Gone in sixty seconds. Uh, not Gone in 50 Seconds, the prequel, but Gone in 60 Seconds, the, the remake with Nicolas Cage. He was also offered the Tries Angels uh, remake that went to McGee, um, starring Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu, and Drew Barrymore. And he turned those down in order to make this movie. And it's kind of interesting. Also his vision. <laughs> his creative vision could not be stifled. And it's kind of great when you read all those interviews with him from around the time that this was released. And he's like, yeah, I, nev- I never see myself going to Hollywood. I could never see myself making a blockbuster. I could and now never it's see like my- he's working on four Disney remakes <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's kind of interesting because one of the criticisms about Snatch um, is that it is basically exactly the same as Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. The stuff that Alex mentioned. It's the bring back of the, the actors, obviously, but that's grand because many directors have ensemble that they like to work with uh it's the you know not just restatement of themes and restatement of technique but also the fact that like the actors are playing similar characters again you would be forgiven for thinking that vinnie jones is playing the same character in Lockstock and um you know this movie as well snatch and it's kind of interesting that there's an argument that guy Ritchie basically took his first film and remade it with a bit more cash a larger cast of car- a larger cast of actors and just sort of like more successfully internationally more mainstream and kind of that's one of the things i've always found interesting about snatched or snatched sorry it's just it's just one of the marks of a vinnie jones movie is you know the way sam rockwell and christopher walken uh, often find a way to dance in in each of their movies vinnie jones will 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 insert will will try and have one scene of him crushing somebody's head with a car door <laughs> it's just um, in the contract people expect that from a vinnie jones movie you got to give them yeah, exactly, the audience yeah. what they want. Um, so can I can I ask actually, how do we feel about this in terms of Guy Ritchie's films and in terms of Guy Ritchie in general? Because Ritchie. Oh, now here we go. Yeah, this is well. I I I may have heard something, Sean. I may have heard you had an experience recently. Uh, but the thing about Ritchie, and I kind of mentioned this on Lock Stock, is that Ritchie's one of those interesting directors where he's a brand name, people know who he is, but he doesn't necessarily really have a style of his own in terms of there's very little you look at and go that's a guy Ritchie film like there's nothing in aladdin that would make you go that's a guy Ritchie film that's i don't a guy Ritchie film yeah aside from the fact that it has a guy Ritchie film written on it um oh, wow. but, but i think that the yeah reminded me of aladdin <laughs> Sur- surprisingly um but again yeah. the thing about Ritchie, and even when you look at say lock stock and you look at this there's a lot of tarantino in there in terms of editing in terms of technique in terms of craft in terms of storytelling um, and it's kind of interesting in terms of Ritchie as a filmmaker. How do we, do we like Guy Ritchie? Do we think that he has something distinct to say? Or is he kind of just somebody who made a couple of good movies, a couple of bad movies, and a couple of studio blockbusters? Is there anything there, basically? Um, I like, I like some of his touches on lock stock, but I, I, I feel, I feel like there's, there's maybe less, um, in this to 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 mark it apart, or when or when he does kind of do some of his tricks from Lockstock, they don't they don't kind of they don't work as well. Like the the um, the the scenes in Lockstock of them kind of like going out drinking or or the um, kind of card game and running away from um, kind of um, the uh, police and that sort of thing. Um, I just thought we're 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 done 
we're done much better and that you get you get uh, little bits of of that here but i can't think of i can't think off the top of my head of 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 examples of them doing it as well um maybe so what you're saying is this movie desperately needs sting playing a gangster kind of pub lord is what you're saying that's what that's what's <laughs> exactly what i'm saying yeah as do all movies yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but what about yourself alex or sean what, what do you think in terms of guy Richard? do you have a yeah, similarly, I think if I were asked that when I was 12, I'd sort of say, yeah, he's obviously the greatest director of all time because I'd only probably seen four films and two of them were <laughs> probably this and then Lockstock. But um, I think it's interesting what you're saying that he was sort of turning down, you know, big studio pictures for this because on the one hand, it's very distinctive, but it's like he's more of a magpie than Tarantino. Like he takes so many little editing things. He takes so many little things, even... I was watching, like, the, not to get into the spoilers on yet, but, you know, the bits with Brad Pitt in an underground boxing club being beaten up, like, a year after Fight Club <laughs> came out. And and thinking, like, but yeah, you know, he, he kind of does, there is a rhythm to the whole film that definitely deserves praise. It's just, I don't know, like, how he kind of thinks this is the most original thing. So, like, the opening credits, for instance, are actually done kind of really well. They're done through security camera footage, and the uh, the cast is sort of put there, you know, over the actual security camera display. And as then, the camera moves across security cameras displays as well, which is very clever. Yeah, yeah, it's very clever. And 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 then when the uh, the action sort of kicks off, he saves his own title to go over a handgun and have everything spin at the same time. And it's clear. I always think that kind of thing is very very um, sort of belies that he kind of thinks no, this is a, a guy like this is this is all a sort of product of my incredible imagination. And as Sean said, though, this is like sometimes a film directed by a child. It's like someone has sort of like asked a child what they think about what gangsters do. <laughs> and they, they, they kind of put the whole thing together. So, yeah, I think in terms of this and, and Guy Ritchie's whole career, I actually prefer some of the bigger studio <laughs> studio stuff. Like, I really like The Man from Uncle. Like, that's a that's a solid, solid film. Um, I only saw a little bit of Aladdin and it was so bad I turned it off. I've heard terrible things about King Arthur and... Um, but going back to um, Andrew's point, it's kind of interesting when you sort of see that he's taken those little quirks that he slathers all over a film like this and he drops them into a giant big $200 million blockbuster. It's kind of reminded like, oh, yeah, I remember when you thought you were the like the guy in the new Tarantino and everything. And then like, as we'll get into it, he's he's made some really weird films, um, particularly after <laughs> Snatch. So, yeah. Well, yes, well, this is interesting because he's the, one of the rare directors whose first two films are on the 250 and whose third film is on the bottom 100 and has never graced either list again. It's one of those great sort of like little arcs you can craft. It's almost that hype cycle thing where it's like you peak and then you fall and then you just disappear well, entirely. When did he marry Madonna? I think this is a crucial thing we're overlooking now. His, I think He married Madonna shortly after the release of Snatch. They had a baby together yeah. timed with the release of Snatch, um, which mm -hmm. he described yeah. as one of the greatest PR coups in history. That his and Madonna's <laughs> baby was born just before the premiere of Snatch. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, but Sean, what about yourself in terms of your relationship with Guy Ritchie? Actually, because I, uh, I just well, I mean, I, I I haven't watched as many of the big budget movies as maybe Alex has. Um, uh, I enjoy Rock and Roller. I, I think when he sticks to that kind of milieu, I think he's on very solid grounding. Um, and when he's kind of shielding it, uh, I, I find myself less interested. Um, but I really enjoyed watching this again. Uh, I kind of think of similar or maybe the same generation as maybe someone like Shane Black or um, is it Robert, Rodri Robert Rodriguez, you know? And they were kind of 
they had to rubber over just maybe a better comparison where he had a very very low budget was a mariachi his first movie it was made for like seven thousand yeah. or ten thousand and then he basically was given the money and he turned it into like a trilogy uh repeating the same themes over and over and over again with diminishing results so i think um sim- in a similar way that guy Ritchie has found his thing that he's, he's good at and then he's been kind of um you know doing movies for himself and then doing the big studio pictures which i think is, is fair and i think he's a very talented director um and uh, I think there's a bit of snobbishness about him if, if, because he's kind of lurid life. Um, and I think people, maybe within the film community, kind of think he kind of, kind of above himself, maybe, as well. So people love to tear him down. But I think he's quite a solid director, and I would uh, you know, be interested to see how he develops. Just on that, actually, because you, men- you mentioned the relationship between uh, Richie and kind of how he's seen and perceived. And I think there's an element of kind of that with the British press. The British press always seem incredibly wary of Richie, uh, particularly because he can't, he comes from an upper class background. And so many of his characters kind of are, are portrayed as lower class and he kind of, he trades off the authenticity of them. He's very much like, well, this is real. I'm offering something real and authentic. And again, he, he does there's, that by there's casting. Definitely, there's definitely an extent to which he's inviting us. Yeah. Um, the, 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 this, this sort of criticism by the way he's pitching his movies like as a portrayal of real Britain and you know not the kind yeah. you see on television and I know what's really happening despite being raised you know um, in, a, in a very upper class environment of being married to Madonna and stuff like that um, and also also in trying to make um, like like what, 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 what Alex said about it seeming like a I did it, 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 to criticize him too harshly but seeming like um like a, a a child's idea of kind of a a, a clever movie. I kept thinking of, of of somebody saying, "What you have here, ladies and gentlemen, is a masquerade, <laughs> a false show or pretense." I.e., he is masquerading as a serious filmmaker. Um, <laughs> I would, kind of... I, I wouldn't be quite so harsh, but what I think is interesting. No, no, but but is it, there's 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 definitely a kind of uh, performativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what's interesting though is like because Snatch is the one that took him to America, he becomes this kind of weird exotic fetish object for the American press. Like I have a profile here right. from the Los Angeles Times in January two thousand and one, um, and it's uh, this is this is the actual quote from the Los Angeles Times article. The 32-year-old writer-director is also a funny, charming, brash, bright, a right geezer, a mate, a bloke, one of the lads, or whatever it is the Brits would call a regular guy. Um, And there's a real sense of, (laughs) yeah, look at this guy. He's British. Um, How strange is that? This was was prime loaded um, uh, era as well. Like kind of... um, Oh, lads, mags and stuff. Loaded and FHM and yeah. Well, that's how Lockstock was sold. Lockstock was very much sold through those magazines, actually. Which again, I suspect maybe plays into what Sean was talking about. The kind of class perception of Richie, the kind of in the British press in particular, of seeing him as being kind of a bit rough or, you know, not being rough, but being pretending and being rough. A little bit woo, a little bit woo. He's a geezer. I do find that kind of very interesting about how the difference between how the British press and American press approach kind of Richie as a director. Co- possibly controversial statement incoming. I think Snatch may be his best film. I think I think Snatch is at least my no, favorite Richie film. No, I think like, there's an argument for that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if he's ever... Yeah. What What would be the competition? Like, what would be his competition? His, his top three? Uh, 
okay, well, I mean, it's really only a top two. It's this and Sherlock Holmes for me, pretty much. Um, All right. That's, that's okay. about it. Um, I didn't like The Man for Uncle as much as much as much as some. I thought I didn't like Lock, Sock and Barrel as much as some people seem to. I think I like this because it's more polished, more smooth. Um, it's, you know, it's very much the same movie, but it's done with a bit more finesse, a bit more energy. It's a bit cleaner around the edges and a bit more efficient kind of in its storytelling. Um, and I think in terms of his other work, like, I really hated King Arthur. I thought Aladdin was very, very bland. Um, Revolver, I was not a huge fan of. Uh, the Gentleman, I was also not a huge fan of, because it feels like... Have you seen The Gentleman? The Gentleman is basically Guy Ritchie having a midlife crisis, saying, I can still make a movie like this. Look at me make a movie like this. Look at me prove how energetic and young I am doing this. And I was watching Snatch, and it's like, that scene's in The Gentleman. That scene's in The Gentleman. Oh, look, it's a confrontation in a pub with a gun where the guy talks him down because he's so hard. That's also from Snatch. And it's it's very much kind of like a sense of him chasing the tale of something that he had when he was younger. So, yeah, I think Snatch is probably my, my favorite. Well, when, Hitch, when, Hitch, when Hitchcock made Torn Curtain, he was accused of plagiarism. And he's like, it's okay to plagiarize if you're plagiarizing yourself. That, you that's know? fair. That's fair. So but if you're a master like Hitchcock I and Guy Ritchie, <laughs> you know? I'm sure it's okay to like. I'm I'm it. similarly. Um, I liked one of his big budget films, you know, Man from Uncle. But the rest of them, I, I'd agree. Like Snatch, like as Guy Ritchie films go, that's kind of the best example I think of of his particular sort of style and his particular kind of thing. I I did like Rock and Roll as well, and I do like this that Guy Ritchie goes off, makes a film it's a disaster or it's like such a big studio film that it barely resembles a film and then he sort of like goes back to his idea of like geezers in london and makes like the same film again i haven't seen the gentleman yet i've heard mixed things but i remember enjoying rock and roller um fairly yeah for what it was but okay i think we're overlooking revolver here in the top three <laughs> are you a revolver fan sean sean and i have a, a long history yeah a long history with revolver yeah so i mean it got a, a bit of a kicking uh, in the press, but I think it's kind of a overlooked kind of masterpiece. To be honest with you, I think when the Guy Ritchie retrospectives come around, I think this is Cassie. Alec is just shaking his head. By the way, I'm I like. Uh, I also like the idea, Sean. Like when the inevitable Guy Ritchie retrospective. <laughs> sure. well, Guy Ritchie. I mean, name another British director of his era who's had the commercial uh, success that he has. Danny Boyle. Yeah, I mean, Danny Boyle. Time tends to add sort of gravitas to things, you know. Like if it, if enough time has passed, there'll be there'll be like a kind of a late night kind of a Channel Four um, series of of um, retrospectives. Like this, the, yeah, discovering the the the, the movies of um, the social or, realism or they'll have of something Guy at the BFI. And as well, if it, if it's been a very long time ago, it doesn't matter whether it's good or not. Like they'll still present it for kind of like um, you know the completions, and they'll, and 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 they'll preface it by saying, "Now, while not as accomplished as um, as as his other work." But 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 it's still important culturally. Revolver reads the it's, deep it's... influence of Kabbalah upon Guy Ritchie's thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, we're getting we're getting off topic. If we start talking about Revolver, I'll, I'll completely torpedo the the podcast. So, <laughs> snatch. I don't think we're going to talk about it otherwise. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, don't, I think I think we can afford like a tight two minutes on Revolver. What is it about Revolver that makes it Guy Ritchie's masterpiece? Because it it's not really talked about that much in terms of his great works. It isn't on either list. So, Sean, this is your chance. Make a pitch for Revolver. Sell oh, Revolver. Oh God. Oh God. Um, okay. So first things first. Jason Statham has hair in it. I think that's a curious. Curiosity enough to make anyone interested in watching it. What? 
Yeah, big black, long black hair. Big thick long black hair in it. Um, oh. There are it's it's a very ambitious movie, but at the same time it's it's got the usual suspects influence. Uh, but it's very much its own movie. It incorporate it's kind of metaphysical philosophical thriller set in you know British gangland. And if that doesn't tell it to you, the idea of you know a person struggling with um, existential questions of being and becoming yourself. Uh, and it's a con movie as well. It's a con person movie, uh, a con man movie. So it has all these rich themes, and it has oh my god, Mark Strong playing the greatest character in the history of cinema. Uh, he's a, a an assassin called Striker, and Striker never misses. And Striker has a uh, <laughs> he has a what do you call the thing where you can't speak? He has a bit of a stutter, you know. And it's he's just called Sorter as well, by Sorter. the way, John. He's not called Striker. Sorry. He's Sorter. No, that, sorry, that, that was that's a that's a problem with the audio, Alex. I said Sorter. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's got lots of these great elements. It, it's you know, it it's both of its time because it has these uh, animes that are influenced by I think uh, Kill Bill. You know, there's a kind yeah, of a anime section, but it kind of escapes the fetters of its own cultural time of production to have a universal message of the integration of the person through gangland movie. Is that tight enough? I think that works. Um, it is yeah. also worth noting that, like, um, you know, working on the film, Jason Statham noted that he was continuously getting script pages while they were filming, and that included entire deleted subplots about, like, samurai who cut people up in very strange and particular ways that just never made it into the movie as it was finished. So it seems like it was an interesting in film. Into... Um... Not, not, not snatch. Yeah, not into six pieces and then fed to pigs. To be absolutely clear, um, because you can't carry a whole body. Um, but all right then. So I think we're sort of reaching the end of kind of the pre-spoiler zone stuff. So three questions before we go around. Um, so we might start with with Sean then. Um, do you <laughs> do you think that uh, Snatch belongs on a list of the two hundred and fifty greatest movies ever made? And it's number one hundred, isn't it? Number one hundred, um... perfect one hundred. Mm -hmm. Do I think it deserves to be there? Oh, that's no. This is your this is your theme and this is your question. I would say that in terms of the level of enjoyment, in terms of um, the memorability of the characters, they they're very well sketched and they are you know caricatures. But as capers go, I think this is a very enjoy enjoyable, well made uh, caper that does have a bit of you know looking back on it now, there are kind of moments when you think that's a bit um, politically incorrect, you know. Uh, there's a couple moments when I thought that when Turkish was speaking to, um, to his partner, uh, there is kind of a deep well of almost mis what to say uh, homophobia or misogyny in the movie. There's a kind yes. of a, you know, which does date it. It means, you know, I think that and the kind of lad culture that the film kind of inspired or came out of does make it a bit, you know, difficult to watch now. Um, yeah. Putting, hey, putting that aside, I think it's really well enjoyable and really uh, well made, and it is quite derivative. But there are some interesting flourishes. That means it deserves its place there. Yeah, like there, there's, 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 there's apart from bulletproof Tony as well that probably got repeated a lot, kind of, you know, in, um, in uh, schoolyards. Yeah, yeah, and that sort of thing. It's just the kind of the, the, the. But it's, it's not, it's not like it's, I, I suppose it's not like this movie was normalizing those things. Those things have probably been, been normalized well in, in. But I, and, and yeah, it's, it's. It's difficult now kind of watching the movie to kind of maybe place it in that context. Um, but maybe, maybe maybe it can be excused, maybe. maybe when you, when you see Jason Statham kind of tease um, 
what's his partner's name or the actor's Tommy? name? Tommy. Oh, yeah. Tommy. Oh, Stephen Graham. Yeah. Stephen Graham. And they're, they're both, they've both gone on to have fantastic careers, you know? And Jason Statham is like the action hero of like our era. And, you know, um, Stephen Graham is playing like a, a very milky character here. It's funny to see. Capone. Very underused. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny to see Jason Statham in, in such a sort of like just vocal role. Like he's not. He doesn't really get into any fights. He's not in any car chases. He's just sort of constantly resigned to his life. And he actually plays that really, really well. Like, there's a great bit where another character is like, why aren't you more stressed? And he's sort of just very like, what can I do? Um, I'm, you know, I'm stuck in an endless cycle of violence of which I can't escape. End of. And he was actually, I kind of thought, pretty good in that role. So there's, yeah. there's, a good, there's a good scene where uh, the guys burst into his um, his parlor, his arcade parlor, and they're breaking up his, you know, his... Uh, machines and he grabs it back he takes up down two of them and you're thinking okay jason Statham, this is his moment to shine he's gonna like cut himself in grease and he's gonna kill them all you know <laughs> yeah but instead you realize that these men they're all six foot they're big fellas they're huge fellas in kind of leather jackets and all he has to do is yeah. sit on jason statham and he'll be gone you know <laughs> yes. so but, uh, those, those, those rules of size and and strength don't apply in in, films. in, in this movie specifically <laughs> That's fair, um, which we'll probably get to in the spoiler zone. I, yeah, I think I I think Alex is quite right about Jason Statham, and I think as well in his action movies, he is, I think, better than most um, action stars at kind of um, getting getting across kind of that um, uh, pathos or kind of emotional range, um, and it's all, he's 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 also very funny. Like um, um, so, yeah. The the um, because you 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 kind of have um, all of the Schwarzeneggers and uh, uh, Stallones and uh, Van Dams and I guess Lundgrens and and and, and others. But um, yeah, he's he's quite he's quite versatile. Um, it feel it feels it feels like action is a is a is a kind of a a feather that he added to his bow rather than kind of um, him having to learn how to be funny or or a good actor later on. It, it is, but that's one of the things that's interesting about uh, looking at his filmography, and in particularly, say, compared to Richie. Like, we talked about Richie as somebody who goes off, makes these Hollywood blockbusters, and then goes back and kind of chases his misspent youth. What's interesting about Statham in particular is that, like, Statham seems to have switched entirely to doing action blockbusters. Now, there are exceptions. Uh, Hummingbird, I think, is kind of a dramatic film that he's done, and I think that threw a lot of Statham fans off who went to see it. They're like, new Jason Statham film, and it's like, oh, wait, what? No, this is about a man's psychological breakdown? Um, and he has done stuff like Spy. His performance in Spy is one of the comedic highlights of the last decade. But by and large, he seems to have switched to a mode of doing primarily action movies. And it's kind of strange when you watch, as Alex pointed out, this movie, where he is so vocal. He's the narrator. The entire film is a story that he is telling you, the audience, going to head on, which relies on him being charismatic, him being quick on his feet, and him being an engaging presence, which is you know, not necessarily what you expect from the kind of man who would go on to make the transporter, to pick an example. And it's kind of strange. I feel like maybe we've lost something in Statham in terms of doing those films. Um, in kind of doing those action movies or doing them kind of almost exclusively. I think he's very good at them, but I kind of miss that we don't get many movies like this from him anymore. Well, I think, I think like his, his, his qualities that he demonstrates here um, enhance his um, action movies, I yeah. think. And pl pl plus this is an action movie. Like it, um, in, 
in ways. He just doesn't get to demonstrate some of the kind of like um, uh, technical stuff. Yeah, yeah, that he that he that he does later on. If you watch the making of documentary of Revolver, which I have many times, um, you'll see wonderful moments where Jason Statham will just show off his physical prowess by grabbing a horizontal bar and then holding him, his whole body horizontally. You're like a flagpole, yeah. I could do that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I it's did. a shame this I is an audio medium. One. Alex is actually broadcasting from that position right now. He pulls himself in closer to the mic when he needs to speak. Oh, and there we go. <laughs> Just, yeah, we can only hold it for so long. Um, yeah. The, I did that once. I'm, I'm put, put, out, put out two discs in my back later that week. And I don't know if, if it was related um to that or not um but yeah there was there was i was in a gym and a friend said hey there's this cool thing that the guy who owns the gym can do and described it to me and i was like i want to go try that it was like a thing on rings um or again yeah it was it was to kind of hold yourself upside down and do kind of like um uh, uh chin-ups on these kind of gymnast rings while 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 you're while you're upside down or dips, I guess is what you call them. Um, but yeah, I think late, 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 later in that week had a very serious injury. It's possible they are related. I don't know. Um, I missed the start of the so yeah, story. Don't, this story. Don't, don't try, gym? don't try this at home. It was it was it, <laughs> it was Jim's sex dungeon. Okay. Um, All right. Um, and Alex, what about yourself? Do you think that's that? belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made yeah I, I similarly you know obviously would have reservations about the idea that this is is even in the top 100 films ever made um well you know on, on imdb but at the same time as we've discussed before obviously this is a list of people who who from a particular viewpoint and i think going back to how i heard about snatch originally it was like on the schoolyard with other lads being like there's a film about people who feed people to pigs you know and I remember watching Snatch and then I remember at a summer camp or something once some like older, cooler kid being like, what do you like Snatch for? Have you not seen Pulp Fiction? And I hadn't seen Pulp Fiction, but it was very like, like that, I think that's exactly why the whole sort of approach to Snatch. Snatch came in the middle of an era in cinema where directors like Steven Soderbergh were made, you know, I think Traffic came out the same year as Snatch and that has like that sort of multi-linear, yeah. very stylistic, using lots of color. It's just done in a sort of different way. And similarly, like Go by Doug Lyman came out in 1999, which also has a sort of very similar kind of feel in some ways. But yeah, I think Snatch is a good example of that particular type of film. I think we've talked about before, It's this. it, it often feels like a child's idea or a very sheltered posh boy's idea of what gangsters get up to. Um, I just don't think it it, it is one of the... 200 of, of these kinds of films it definitely is one of the sort of more influential ones or certainly one that is a sort of an entry point to all these kind of films um but yeah i don't know if it's i, I don't think i could put it in all good conscience in the, the list of the top 250 films of, of all time it's just it's not you know it's it's fine it's fun um, it's just uh, very very strange to me that this is, is so well rated because i think even when it came out people were like yeah, that's 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 fine. You know, it's kind of similar to the last one, but like, it's not like this blockbusting, incredibly different film or anything. He kind of takes a lot of ideas that other directors do a lot better, and uh, that he himself and puts has them done together. already largely as well. Yeah, 
It's and the Sean Brad says, Pitt though, in this one. It's Brad Pitt guys. <laughs> yeah. If you get the world's biggest film star in your movie playing a pikey, a pikey, sorry, but yeah, then you. Yeah. <laughs> we're supposed to be we're supposed to be defending the idea of Irish film, and right away you're just immediately saying pikey. Like, ugh. anyway, the um. Well, the... I mean, that's my problem with say um. That's my problem with the gentleman, which is like this is relatively okay because it was 2000 and it was very much part of that culture and the gentleman is released today and it's very much like well, i'm gonna be racist against chinese people because i'm a real geezer and i'm authentic and stuff like that and it's kind of it doesn't work the same way because it feels like you know it, it was 2000 not being too judgmental because that's the way culture was in 2000 and stuff like doing it now feels a bit more abrasive because it's like yeah we I don't know, Darren. Uh, racism against the Chinese making a big comeback this year. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. What I think you say, this guy Richie had, had his finger pulse. on the pulse. Yeah, yeah. it's like the, the, at the time it was kind of like um, travelers were um, were taking over, kind of um, uh, economically, um, and and needed to be to take, taken down a peg or two. Uh, everyone was really concerned that they 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 would they would they would um, um, buy um, like uh, all of the I I don't know <laughs> sorry you were trying to you were trying to do the United States fear of Japan in the eighties I think is what you were going there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> or did or the United States fear of, of 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 China kind of recently yeah um, yeah before all of this. Um, so what you're saying is Snatch is an economic uh, par- uh, parable, basically. But I think that sort of brings us then to you, Andrew. Do you think Snatch belongs on a list of the 250 greatest films ever made? Of course it doesn't. Um, what are no. you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I, I don't. I mean, I yeah, I, I, w- I, would, I, w- I would kind of um, put Lockstock... Um, I'd say that Lockstock has a more kind of a, a better uh, case. Um, it, it, like the, the, I don't know. I was surprised that um, the, the, the difference between kind of this and Lockstock is just kind of appears to be that it just has um, like Brad Pitt and Benicio del Toro and, you know, a bigger budget. But that's where the, yeah, but it, like, I, I, I don't, it's difficult to see the the budget in other ways, really. Um, like they, I don't know. You, you, sometimes when when you have kind of more constraints, like you do with a with a with a with a first movie, you you kind of have to be more creative, and maybe that comes across in 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 Lockstock. Actually, I I don't know how much money this movie had because it's another one that's produced by Trudy Styler. Rather than like a uh, big studio, as you say. And while um, they were filming, so... they would actually they had issues with extras during, say, the boxing matches. So when he would move the camera, he would have to actually move the twenty extras that he had, so that they were standing behind that section of the ring. So it looked like people were <laughs> actually watching the boxing match, uh, which I kind of adore in terms of production. Um, all right, then second question, Sean: um, Would this be in your own personal two hundred and fifty? So your own two hundred and fifty favorite films ever? Is this on the list? It might be in the 250 films I've seen in my life. Um, so, perhaps. Um, default. Default. No, I, I might, like, if you, if I hadn't uh, had the pleasure of doing this podcast, uh, I probably would never rewatch Snatch. 
Um, so I would say no. It probably wouldn't be in my own personal 250. Um, no. And Alex? No, uh, similarly, um, you know, it would have probably been up there when I was 12, but um, no, no more. Um, the great test for me is personal 250 is if I had like a new girlfriend or a friend and said, let's watch yeah. this movie. I want to show you this movie. This is great. Yeah, I know. I can't mean. imagine right. saying to a girl, let's watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, that feels like a 14 year old self kind of you, thing would be like. Sometimes you'd pretend to have not have seen it nearly. She's like, are you a big fan of Snatch? But no. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> yeah. I think you mentioned something similar with Fight Club, I think. It's like when you're in initial yeah. conversation with people, they're like, so Fight Club. And you're like, uh, how do I react to that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will I be judged based on my response to this? Um, and Andrew, yeah. what about yourself? Would it be in your own personal 250? No, no. I, I Yeah, I, I don't want to take the, the the jam out of Guy Ritchie's donut, but no. Um, it, 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 would, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be on my own uh, personal 250. Do you know he makes marmalade? Of course, of course he does. does. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, that's, that, that's yeah. He has an <laughs> square. <laughs> he has an He's finally em- embracing kind of um, <laughs> who, who, who he always was. It's great um, because uh, Esquire, di- of course, Esquire did an interview with him and he's talking about his marmalade. And he's like, my marmalade is like, I don't know what he sounds like anyway. My marmalade is accessible. My entire sensibility is accessible. My nature is, I like accessible. Uh, my first two movies are accessible. So my marmalade should be like those movies. That's good to know. It's proper tasty. <laughs> <laughs> it has real pips in it. Um, yeah. Um, and then final, final round of questions. Um if listeners listen to this podcast, because we've been doing, you know, as people have been quarantined, been doing a bit of a world tour. So we've, you know, we've already discussed films like, say, Infernal Affairs. Are, are we shoehorning this into the, um, the, the world, kind tour. Of world, world tour? Yes, yeah. yes, we are. Britain is a country, right? Um, but yeah, so we've taken listeners on a kind of an hourl world tour. You know, we've watched, uh, you know, we watched Contratiempo from Spain. We watched Infernal Affairs from Hong Kong. We're going to watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire from France. Um, and, and kind of like snatch, you know, a little bit of color, a little bit of flavor. Um, for listeners in the UK, it's available on Netflix on Sky Now um, or on Now TV. Uh, for listeners in the US, you can watch it free on Amazon Prime Video or on IMDb with advertisements. But Sean, would you recommend if listeners have not seen Snatched or if they have not seen Snatch recently, should they watch or rewatch the movie? Is it worth their time? Uh, I'd say if you have a, and uh, if you enjoy gangster movies, you know, I'd say it is a um, interesting take on a caper, you know. Uh, so I would say if you like the um, evolution of British gangster movies, Lockstock, Mona Lisa Smile, um, Long Good Friday, perhaps even Long Good Friday, you know, there is a kind of a vintage of British gangster movies. And this, unfortunately, creates, yeah, this created, I think, a subgenre of British gangster movies that are quite forgettable. Um, but I, th- I think as the standard bearer they were of Danny that particular... Danny Dyer, type, so they were. Danny Dyer, yeah. Aye. I think this is a standard bearer of that era. And I would say uh, you, you will enjoy it. Uh, it's probably not the most unforgettable movie, um, but you'll enjoy it if you watch it. Um, and, but Revolver will get an unqualified recommendation. Well, it's a bit like the wreck of the Deutschlands. You know, if you're big into Gerard Manley Hopkins poetry, you don't start with the wreck of the Deutschlands. You start with some of his, you know, other poems. Um, so don't start with Revolver if you're new to Guy Ritchie. You know, start with Man from Uncle. <laughs> you have to ease start yourself with Sherlock. In. <laughs> ease yeah. yourself in. And then when you feel like you're ready for 
you know, the great masterpiece, you know, then go to Revolver. Yeah. Oh, oh I forgot to say Revolver has Ray Liotta in it, in, you know, in Shorty Shorts, in mm. like a banana hammock. It's, it's got everything. Mm. Um, so, Alex, what about yourself? Would you recommend um, Snatch or Revolver? Yeah, I think I think we're all kind of, um, you know, these days kind of staring into the void, you know, wondering if it's all just going to slide off into the ocean. So I think in those kind of times, there, there does come a little bit of like looking inward and sort of like working out what kind of person you are. And similarly, you know, as I said, this was a film... I thought was the bee's knees when I was 11. So I was interested to go back and like watch it and be like, why did I like this? Why did all these, like, why was the VHS passed around like, you know, in, in, in sixth class? And I actually found like when we started our, our you know podcast, we, we went back and watched, I think it was in Bruges and kind of found that like none of us liked it. And, and the humor had like dated so bad because it was, it was actually really, really awful. Um, and I, I remember the, the you know audience at the time when that film came out, everyone kind of thought it was really, really hilarious. So I was a little kind of nervous going back to watch Snatch because I couldn't quite remember it. Similar to Sean, I don't think I would have ever chosen to watch this because I'd seen it so many times um, years and years ago. And watching it again, I was surprised that there wasn't more offensive stuff in it. <laughs> I kind of thought of that era of that time that there was going to be a lot of really terrible things and it wasn't. So, yeah, if you were the kind of person who um, enjoyed this at the time, it is kind of interesting going back because there's always things you find a little bit more endearing now than you did then. For instance, when I watched this the first time, I did not know who Benicio Del Toro is. I did not get his character in this at all. I kind of didn't... I didn't... Uh, yeah, he looks fantastic in this. And it's maybe because I watched the, the Sicario films recently, but like, it's like, wow, yeah, God, he's so cool in this film and then i was annoyed that he was you know we're in the spoiler zone that he was just well, shot no we're not so in the spoiler but, uh, well, yeah. oh sorry right um take that back then but yeah he was just well the... shot he was well shot by guy richard cinematographer yeah, yeah they were yeah. cinematography i was talking about well shot. but no let's just say that i was sort of surprised then. and then you know when i was a uh, when i was 12 i, I think i loved vinnie jones i thought he was like the, the coolest guy ever he's got that ridiculous hand cannon and his cool coat and now he kind of comes across really, really cartoony, I thought. And I kind of wanted more character, more time with other characters. So it's interesting for that reason. So, yeah, if, if you know, nothing, if you've watched everything else on your list. Hold on. Um, hold on. Which, which, which character did you want more time with? Like, which well-developed, you know, psychological no, portrayal no. did you want fleshed out a bit more? One thing Tell I me. actually, like, there were a few. I, I liked um, Tommy and, and Turkish's sort of just, like, two idiots driving around kind of vibe. I, I, I was more into that in the same jacket. Yeah, uh, I like more of that. I also found the villain, uh, Alan Ford, really scary in a, in a way that like his, the script is so bad at times. Like you, Andrew, you were already talking about this terrible scene where he talks about like the dictionary defines nemesis as, and you're like, oh, this is so screenplay. This is terrible. But he's still, despite all that, like terrifying. I think it's his like dark little shark eyes behind those giant weird glasses. Like <laughs> I actually quite liked him. Um, and, the and then similarly, uh, Rade, what's his name, Rade Sherbudzia as as Boris the Blade. You know, yeah, a, a stereotype, uh, uh, like a, such a sort of broadly broadly written character. But then that actor is just so good. The little things he does with his hair, like slicking it back, the, his delivery, the way he sort of like thinks about things. Little things like that I, I would not have appreciated back in the day. And now I had a little bit more time for it. So, yeah, absolutely. If you enjoyed this 20 years ago when it came out, why not give it a look at you? 
um, and Andrew actually. Yeah, I I I would um, I would put this in, and I do I do like the movie, and it it does it does things here like it 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 probably helps um, uh, popularize some of its soundtrack as well, especially for kind of like an international audience, but also for kind of people like us. So I guess we're watching the movie for the first time. And discovering music like stuff like um, um specials on yeah 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 like dreadlock holiday and yeah yeah they they, they yeah I'm, I'm i mean more the yeah the the the, the older deeper cuts in that. well yeah they're not even i don't know is it that because of but snatch not they're deep. not deep cuts or are just that they were kind of quite well known anyway but um and lockstock does that as well i guess which um with stuff like the Stooges, and uh, but yeah, no, no, it, it's it's it it is quite an enjoyable movie. Um, I would recommend people watch it. It is on Netflix and on, on the kind of other platforms, as you say. So um, now that you have all this time to, to 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 watch things, go for it. Yeah, I I would I can second that. I you know don't think it's a great film. Don't think it's one of the best films ever made. Wouldn't be on my own personal list. I do think it was great fun. I actually really enjoyed watching it last night. I think it's breezy. I think it's fun. I think it's light. And it's probably my favorite Guy Ritchie film, as I already mentioned. So if you are at all interested in dipping your dough in the Guy Ritchie waters, this is probably a great place to start. With that in mind, then, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. So, Alex, what is Snatch about for you? Yeah, kind of like what I said earlier, I think this is part of that, I think it's called hyperlink cinema or something, and the idea that you kind of maybe pull together six or seven stories, all of which are quite simple, um, but it's the layering then on top of each other and, and within each other kind of creates this idea that maybe you're actually a genius and you've written a story that's like got all these moving parts, when really it's actually seven extraordinarily simple stories um, just sort of piled on top of each other. Like... There's an extremely good illustration of this where three sort of strands of the the story all like center together around a car crash. But it, if you actually look at the technical details, it, it doesn't really make sense. Um, one character is driving on a country road and throws a, a, a carton of milk at the window. Next, we cut to like in the city in a completely different road and that milk sort of travels across the universe and like smashes into their car and they crash and then somebody else gets out and it turns out that three guys who were hired by a man that they now run over, you know, arrive on the scene as well. And it's just, I think, a good illustration of, of this idea that Snatch kind of people think maybe it's slightly cleverer than it actually is. It's, it's a very basic stories just sort of like divided into seven. And kind of like that scene where a guy says the way to get rid of a body is to like chop it up into seven parts. That's kind of what Snatch feels like to me. It feels like he hasn't, you know, he's just sort of cut up a story and then like kind of reassembled it. It doesn't seem like um, it's not actually very clever at any point. The one thing I will say is it's slightly redeemed by the performances. It is kind of well cast, you know, it's it's a mix, as as Sean already said, of, of big actors like Benozzi del Toro and Brad Pitt with faces that you wouldn't normally see like Dennis Farina gets a really good role and I really like that actor he used to be like an actual cop in Chicago and then he started making Soderbergh films and I think he has more lines in this than than certainly than Benicio del Toro and maybe than Brad Pitt um and Lenny James and Robbie Gee Dennis Farina he's cousin Abby. cousin Avi who comes over from America and you know 
Yeah, that it, that's why I, I kind of like, so going back to your question, I think story-wise, everything else, we've talked about a lot of other reasons why it's not a good film. The one thing I do like is that, like, Mike Reed is, is you know, Doug the head, and he's getting kind of thrown into the mix with Alan Ford and Robbie Gee and, and these actors that you wouldn't normally see. And then you see your Jason Statham's and your Brad Pitt's and your Ben Del Toro's. So it does balance that quite well, even if it fails in other areas. I'll, I'll kind of jump up uh, in defense of that kind of like storytelling that you mentioned, the kind of looseness of the storytelling. And I, again, not to give Richie too much credit, but I think that's largely the point. It happens throughout that you get these editing cuts that do not make any sense to the point where the film is almost kind of flouting it. So you have like scenes of it, for example, of Turkish and Tommy discussing hair coursing where the story begins in a car and suddenly they're in a field, but it's very clearly continuing one sentence to the next. But you also get even kind of little sequences where, you know, Frankie Fourfingers is like phoning Cousin Abby and he's changing costume between each cut of the phone as well. And it feels very much like Richie is aware of these inconsistencies and just doesn't care. And I, like, again, I, I think that's, you know, something that prevents it from being a great film, but I don't mind it too much because the entire film... And this is going to sound grossly indulgent, and it absolutely is grossly indulgent, but the entire film is basically about celebrating the telling of itself. It's an entire long story being told to you in the same way that somebody sits down and tells you a story which is full of details that kind of loop back and contradict and don't make sense and stuff and have to be explained later. Like even that car crash that you, you mentioned there. And again, it makes absolutely no sense logistically, physically, Darren, in terms of geographic location. Dude. But... Um, do you realize the podcast should be so, Darren? What is the snatch <laughs> about yeah. for you? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but like you, you have you have that kind of car crash sequence, but it's cut three times. But what's interesting about it is that it's cut backwards, so you have them hit the body before you find out that the milk was thrown on the car, and you have them throwing the milk out before you see it hit the the windscreen and cause them to you know to to lose the guy from the boot, and it's, it's all done in reverse. And I think Richie, you know, to to his credit, is aware of that. I think, it, you know, I think it prevents the movie from being a great movie or a brilliant movie or a fantastic movie. But I think that Richie is aware of what he's doing. Because it's notable that the entire story is narrated from its closing scene. It doesn't introduce you in media res. It's not like Turkish saying, I'll bet you're wondering how I ended up in a situation like this. It's Turkish at the end of the story going back and going, well, here is the entire story that I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to tell you it in the way that I tell you it. And I, I think I kind of admire that aspect of it from kind of Richie, you know, in terms of being transparently what it is, which is absolute nonsense, mm. but nonsense well. No, I'd kind of agree with that, yeah. I think it, it it kind of portrays some of the nonsense as if it's not nonsense, though. Like, the, the whole kind of um, story at the beginning about the mistranslation of um, Virgin Birth, that... It's and there, there, there's a kind of a repeat of that later on, where kind of if it, it's funny, it's funny because the the two examples of it, one is the 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 um you you have you have all of the like Benicio del Toro and all of the other kind of uh, people who are who are doing the heist dressed up as um as Orthodox rabbis. Jews, yeah, rabbis, oh, yeah. um and um. They're they're talking about how um, Catholicism has mistranslated a young woman as as virgin as yeah yeah as virgin and it, and and then the, you have an example later on where kind of um, uh, bricked up um, explains uh, Nemesis. It's odd because of how like later on in in kind of Guy Ritchie's career how into 
kind of the um, Campbellian kind of um, uh, uh, myth he 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 is, and and how unaware of mythology he seems to be in this, because kind of miraculous virgin birth isn't isn't a mistranslation. And if you were if you were going to be clever about Nemesis, you would talk about kind of like the the ancient Greek kind of um, uh, goddess Nemesis and of of divine retribution and and all of that sort of thing. Which is odd because like both both moments in the movie, they're trying to be clever and and, and kind of failing to be. So the, the, there's a so the, the, there's 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 a lot that kind of uh, I'm reluctant to kind of. Be, Excuse, um, uh, Guy Ritchie for because because it it it, it just it just it just comes across as quite kind of, and it, and it's the kind of thing that you would hear it in a movie and then repeat to people. Um, I think it makes you smart. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two two quick things. First of all, we should note that Sean has started doing weights uh, on the call because he's well art. Um, <laughs> turning quietly uh, into the brick top of this particular podcast. Um. And secondly, I kind of hate that I've already turned into the guy who's making the argument for Guy Ritchie as an artistic genius whose work we do not understand in his own time, because I don't believe that. But I do. I made that argument earlier. What are you talking about? (laughs) I know. I'm just stealing Sean's arguments. He's going to make me participate in an argument later on where I have to go down in the fourth. Um, But very quickly, in terms of kind of like what Andrew's saying, and this is kind of, again, I don't think Richie is a genius. I don't think Richie, um, I think Richie's a magpie, as Alex described earlier, where he just takes his influences and kind of hybridizes them together. But I do think that, that there is that kind of kernel of aboutness, as it were, um, with the film. And I think that it's about mistranslations, about miscommunication, and primarily about culture clash. And again, we kind of talked about this when we talked about Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, where maybe it was a result of him copying Tarantino, but there's a sense of the world being a chaotic place and there being no way of making sense of it. But one of the things I actually like about Snatched is that it's very much about this kind of collision that exists between different cultures, uh, between different groups, between people who don't have any understanding of what each other are doing and how those kind of intersect with one another and how miscommunications happen. And you have it again with the, you know, and again, we're going to talk about accents later on. We're going to talk about Brad later on. But you have it with him as a traveler who speaks lines that nobody in the film can understand. I mean, at certain points, Turkish goes, did you get a word of that? Did you understand that? And you have him saying, do you get what I'm saying, boy? And that sort of stuff going on. And this sense of not being able to kind of understand or kind of, you know, connect with one another. You have things like, for example, the Americans coming over and cousin Avi being deeply confused by words like blagging. It's like, no, 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 speak English, speak English. When we're in, in England, you invented the language and I have no idea what you're saying. And you have it kind of happening repeatedly where you have this kind of miscommunication. And again, this is where I'm going to say something that sounds incredibly pretentious. And I'm not entirely sure how much I believe it. But let's give Richie the benefit of the doubt here. That kind of observation that's credited to either Oscar Wilde or George Bernard Shaw about America and England being two countries separated by the same language. Um, And you have that kind of sense of characters being unable to communicate to one another clearly or being unable to understand one another. And maybe I'm giving Richie too much credit. I yeah, I think to to go back <laughs> against that, I think the problem there is that if it's a film about miscommunication, that sort of implies that he understands both sides of the, the sort of, um, you know, both parties who are attempting to communicate. And I, I really don't, I think that's giving him far too much credit. So before we're getting into all the um, the Irish Traveller stuff, I think even if you look at a character like Cousin Avi, 
who is, you know, there's a very sort of on the nose scene where it, instead of saying one scene is taking place in London, one scene is taking place in the US, um, there one of them has an American flag coffee cup and the other one has like Union Jack socks. Boris and, has an I Heart Moscow coffee cup. Yeah, which is exactly. One of those yeah. That I kind of adore for being so heavily on the nose. But that's what I mean. It's sort of Guy Ritchie's version of all these characters. None of them actually ring true. Like Dennis Farina is such a sort of like you a Yankee in London, you know, down to the point where he's like, what are you talking? And as you said, what are you talking about? And then I think the other problem is, is that this isn't this isn't like none of this is sort of comes across as realistic. Even his little expressions that he, he puts in the mouths of characters like Alan Ford's Bricktop or, or Vinnie Jones's um, Bullet Tooth Tony. You know, they're things like who took the jam from your donut? You know, they're, they're kind of they don't really they, they still read, I think, as like um, a screenwriter who grew up in Hertfordshire or wherever he grew up. Sort of being like, and then they say this, or then I'm going to yeah. like Google Cockney ram- r- rhyming slang, and, and then they say that. And I think there's so much of that in this film that. And I, think, I think that's, so, I think that's only a problem, Alex, film. if you expect authenticity. No, I, I agree. Like, that's why it's a cartoon. No, it's a cartoon. I just think, against um, to Darren's point about it being miscommunication, I think the problem there is that, that sure, I mean, it's miscommunication in, in a broader sense because um, I don't think he kind of. You know, it, it, but the idea that it's between two different characters or two different cultures, he's sort of creating those. It's 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 creating you know these sort of yin and yang characters, yeah. it's creating Turkish and Tommy, and them both sort of being very similar and dressing alike, but being one is tall and one is small, one is sort of calm and one is stressed. You know, and that's why I don't think it's it's actually as clever as it thinks it is because it's going back to that car crash point. He hasn't actually done the legwork to get all those characters in that particular scene at that particular time. He kind of is just drawing as broadly as possible. We're going to say like, uh, oh, Dennis Farina, he's American and therefore he's going to behave like this in this scene. He's going to fire his gun wildly all over the place. Um, Doug the Head is British and therefore he's going to behave like this in this scene and they're going to clash like that. You know what I mean? But in terms of like, if, if Guy Ritchie wanted to make a movie for a global audience to make as much money as possible. I think the, the caricatures, and they are caricatures, they're so um, well yeah, sketched. They're, they're brief. They're brief, but they're very well sketched. Like at the start, you have the kind of the cast list where you introduce them. Like, and I don't know about for you guys, but I mean, I watch this movie a lot, but the characters are very memorable, you know? They're very yeah. memorable. The, the little details, like introducing Doug the Head as, oh, he's not Jewish, but he wants to be, you know? And, and then you sort of, pick up that oh and he's got like twin daughters who talk in unison like all twins in <laughs> stupid films like this well it's um, the same gag he used he's the same gag in lock stock and two smoking barrels um yeah 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 i i want to i want to i want to agree with alex's um point there kind of um to say that yeah that 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 he doesn't really understand or that, or that it isn't an attempt to um to give kind of an authentic um, uh, uh, communication from any of these people, like like that, it would make more sense for cousin Avi to have Union Jack socks and for Doug the Heads um, to to have a um, an American cup because that's the kind of thing you have if you're a tourist, and it would it would it would it would make it would make sense for both of them to have a I love Moscow. Uh, cup as well because that's the kind of thing you would buy if you were just visiting Moscow for the first time um and but uh, but I'll, I'll I'll defend Guy Ritchie as well 
I think um, to 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 kind of repeat something that we 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 had our Cockney consultant <laughs> on for lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, and he said like like there is no truth in any. Sean of has a the, London the, pillow the, just to, the, just, he's brought it in show and tell. Um, he has a London <laughs> cushion there just to show as an authentic authentic. Yes. Proof he's been to London. British culture. Yes. London. You're now a British person and a guy Richie yeah. film, basically. The point that David made was that like it's nothing that yes. anyone has ever said in uh, in East London in these movies, but that makes it better. That that it's 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 a kind of a creative marvel. The imagination that has taken Guy Ritchie to 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 try and put all of these things uh, together without ever having met somebody from that culture. <laughs> <laughs> he he's trying to I think I go back to the point that I said that where he's trying to he has Brad Pitt in the movie the most you know um, the biggest film star in the world and he you know has him as a indecipherable um, you know Irish traveller and I think that's that's quite good because while well, you can rely on Brad Pitt to take his shirt off and everyone's going to go crazy which is good as well um, what was my point my point is that I think he's trying to he's taking away his most Okay, go back to Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, where you have the, the kind of comedy Cockney rhyming yeah. translations. Do you remember that part? Yeah. Yeah. So he probably would have thought of putting a scene like that into this movie. But then I'm thinking, that actually won't work so well internationally as maybe it did in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. So we'll cut that. We'll have Brad Pitt with his shirt off. And then we'll have much more global audience. I think what you're saying is that even at this time, which we were talking about he had turned down other big studio films like Charlie's Angels. He was actually always a shill and he, he's just <laughs> gradually coming to Jesus as a shill. And now he's part, making a lot. Accepting that part of himself. <laughs> but two things actually before we move on, because I think we may be talking about Brad Pitt in a second, but just on this kind of like cartoonishness, one of the small details that I actually love is that Boris the Blade, despite being kind of introduced as kind of a former Soviet spy or whatever, and having an I Heart Moscow cup, there's a small moment. Uzbekistan. That's it, exactly. Well. There's a small moment yeah. later on where they're kind of, they're torturing, I think it's, it's Saul or Vinny, and he's like, you know, he's a Russian, Russian, well, technically an Uzbekistanian, which I kind of like. It's a small little detail that suggests that maybe Richie's aware of how broad he's kind of playing these cliches. Um, I, remember, I, kind of... <laughs> I remember in school there was a geography teacher who is like, it's one of those Russian countries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and Describing second, one of the former Soviet Union. Another very, very quick thing as well, because it kind of yeah. ties back into something Alex mentioned earlier on, which is the way in which Guy Ritchie credits the film. So he, he, the opening credits have the actor names over the CCTV footage, which is just black and white. As Alex mentioned, he gives himself a big whirling credit with the gun and the camera spins and stuff like that. But what's interesting is that he actually gives all of his characters title cards and sean sort of mentioned it there he introduces all of the characters with these wham bang flash here's a silhouette of them here's their name and here's a little icon an image to them which is a very strange thing to do because you don't meet many some of those characters you've met already i think the turk and uh, sorry, turkish and tommy are introduced using like footage that you've already seen of them and other characters are characters that you're not going to meet until another hour into the film's runtime but it's kind of yeah, interesting how gorgeous it's, it's george so gets one um, I don't think Errol does, does he? I don't believe so. Like, considering he... how much Errol is used and referred to in the movie and how little gorgeous George is. Yeah. And Errol yeah. only has one face, though, you know? I mean, you, you can imagine Errol as, like, a, a real body damager. You know, he was former gangster 
I think, um, by the looks of him. But it kind of it kind of gets at that thing that Andrew was mentioning, which is that sense of the triumph of Guy Ritchie's imagination, where the entire film is Guy Ritchie celebrating his own wondrous imagination, where it's like, sure, I've got Benicio Del Toro and Brad Pitt and Dennis Farino in my film, but you don't really care about those. You want to see the characters that I created. So they're going to get the wham-bang wallop slash kind of like credits introduction sequence, which is, is interesting, I think. Uh, yeah, I but I think that does speak to his <laughs> fundamental arrogance. Yes, his ego. But guys, he's, he, he, I think he does believe himself as like the, you know, one of the greatest filmmakers of, you know, modern British times. And I think to make the movies he does and to go to Hollywood, you have to believe that, you know, to have the career that he's had. Um, so no, I, I know, know what, what you mean. mean. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is true. Like, he, he in a way... A sense of self-belief. Yeah, yeah, only he's going to make this film and only someone who believes he's, you know, brilliant is going to make this film. Um, but it, yeah, to the title card point, I, like that actually annoyed me because you have this big long credit sequence, including long as you say, a sequence, including director as you say, title a that involves director spinning around, that involves like all spinning around, 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 Brick top. top. All, All the, the gang, gang are here. here. Like we, we haven't, you haven't earned, earned any of that yet. Good old Bricky. I do yeah. love a bit of Bricky. <laughs> What's he been up to lately? Um, I think then maybe this is a point to talk about Brad Pitt because we've kind of alluded to him a couple of times. We kind of mentioned the kind of Hollywood star power here and stuff like that. So Brad Pitt, like this is the reason why we're discussing it with you guys when Irish eyes are watching. Brad Pitt as a representation of Irish culture in cinema. How do you feel about that? I don't know if we like if it's fair to frame it that way. Like the the movie addresses this, and people kind of criticize the movie in spite of it, 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 it for for. for for Brad, Brad Pitt's, Pitt's accent, and, and in, in, in spite of, of the, 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 the movie, movie gives itself kind of a um, a, a pass on this because they they, they establish kind of like it's, it's not this, this, it's not that, it's kind of something else. else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, sorry. sorry. Um, just, just to, to, to I guess I don't know. I wanted to yeah. Because like when they, as you say, when they introduce um the character Brad Pitt's character Mickey, they do sort of say it's not quite Irish, it's not quite English somewhere in the between um but yeah let me take a step back first and kind of present how they're presented so i mean um uh, we are all irish i mean i've never lived in england have any of you ever lived in england andrew has yeah. no. yes andrew you live in england so this 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 loaded word so within irish culture you know we have irish travelers who are recognized as the distinct ethnic group uh and they have their culture um there's settled travelers and there's you know traveling travelers and uh, they live in caravans and they have their own culture. Yeah. Uh, mar marginalized people, um, low rates of finishing education, high rates of suicide. So there's a lot of uh, social support towards them and there's a lot of um, social hatred towards them as well. Um, yeah, resentment. Yeah. Resentment. So we're all, I'm aware of like within an Irish culture of how they kind of are placed, but within an English culture, Andrew, is it the same or is it different? Or I think it's different because there's probably less um, uh, sensitivity. I think you, you see it as well in the United States where in the United States, there's, there's a real kind of um, the importance um, on the left of being kind of um, right on that you, that you have as well in the UK, but that it, it, it not extending to, um, to gypsies. 
that uh, you you notice in American culture um, that we consume that's generally kind of um, uh, left leaning that they, they that um, they don't seem to have any qualms about kind of you know uh, referring to kind of you know gypsy curses or or any of these kinds of things or referring to to to, to gypsies kind of jokingly using them as a sort of a trope. Um, yeah. As if they're some kind of mythical um, creatures, uh, almost. Kind of yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, or something. Exactly, exactly. And 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 there there is there is a shade of that in in the UK as well. And there's definitely um, like um, it's probably difficult for me to 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 comment uh, broadly because the the people the people uh, the people I knew who said. Um, who said things like, uh, 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 like who, who 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 would have talked about and given out about um, the traveling community there, were um, like avowedly uh, uh, racist. <laughs> like they they would just kind of come out and say it. So um, it's not a representation of of of. of of how they're viewed in the UK, but it's 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 a part of how they're viewed in the UK. Considering um, language within Ireland, you know, we have kind of two words for Irish travellers. We can call them Irish travellers, or we can call yeah. them the other words. So you don't really want to say here, but you know, people say um, that other words. Uh, but within British culture, is there like a political? Is there like the correct term? You know that that's. Um, and then is there like the hate the hate terms? Like I mean, hate. they do they do call them travelers, I believe. Um, yeah, and 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 they, I I think we have that in the movie. There were there were there was a moment in the kind of mid nineties where people thought that the politically correct word were itinerants, but this was kind of decided before actually speaking to people Anybody in the traveling community. Yeah, yeah. Who, who kind of, and the response was, no, travelers, that's that's what we want to be called. Um, can, can you imagine the the power if, if they made a movie similar to this in Ireland? Hey, Martin McDonough made a movie set in Ireland where there was a character who was an Irish traveler and everybody called him a, I'll say it now, but a knacker, you know? Can you imagine yeah. the power that would have? And it wouldn't just be laughed off as some sort of, Light-hearted thing. It would be mm. kind of deeply troubling for the whole society, wouldn't it? Well, like, like I, I, I find that this. I mean, it's difficult. I, I, in ways, in ways, I think this movie uses that kind of uh, prejudice yeah. uh, towards the traveling community to its uh, credit, because it's, 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 uh, it's ult- ultimately um, they are the ones who. Um, uh, who win? Yeah, in 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 spite of um, in spite of the prejudice, or perhaps um, in in because part because of it. Because they're yeah, exactly. So and, I I think I think the movie's point of view isn't um, that they hate Pikes. It's it's uh, which 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 is which is something that that characters in the movie repeat kind of over and over again. I think it's um, it it's pointing a kind of a camera at that. And and maybe um, I think I agree with you I, to a point, Andrew. I think the guy yeah. might have his cake and eat it a little bit because yeah. he does make yes. sympathetic characters yeah, like Tommy say yes. I hate pikeys, you know, right. and then the goons will say I hate pikeys and I hate pikeys and the pikeys, oh, sorry, the pikeys, <laughs> yeah, you know, Brad Pitt uh, and uh, Mike Mickey they actually do prevail in the end. But I think when Guy Ritchie presents 
um, like the caravan, the interior of the caravan, and and you have Turkish and you have uh, Tommy kind of on one side, and then on the other side you have maybe fifteen men all packed together. You know, yeah. mm. I, there's definitely. An exoticism to a certain extent. Yeah, and it, it's played for laughs as well. Like, like, like um, you have this kind of sound effect of a fly buzzing about kind yeah. of in 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 inside as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, and no, I I'd, I'd agree with you that that uh, that he does have his cake and eat it, and it's not it's not attempting to be the most sensitive portrayal. But but I I I think also yeah that's. Um, that he he does he does at least get to do something a bit, um, and I think some of that is um, is the actual casting of of Brad Pitt because he yeah. it, it is almost an in joke as Sean said you're casting the world the most handsome man in the world exactly the the most handsome man in the world's biggest movie star remains a movie star and you're casting him uh, in uh, in this Irish traveler role in a and in presenting him in a particular way and, and as Sean said presenting him with you know all these other guys one of them which played by Jason Fleming who's also in Lockstock and it's it's I think in the casting of Brad Pitt there is a bit of like sort of it's a very it's a very knowing move and it's again very um going back to your point about it having his cake and eating it you know on the one hand I've I've cast Brad Pitt as an Irish traveler. On the other hand, he's doing a really broad sort of like really, you know, an accent that's fundamentally played for laughs. And I remember I looked this up beforehand the, the, when they released the DVD around the time Snatch came out, they actually created a, a pikey subtitle track um, that where you could like turn on subtitles and only have subtitles for the, the Irish traveler characters. And again, that, that kind of thing I kind of think is, yeah, you, you know, you're 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 on the side of the guys who are saying, "God, I hate pikeys." And even the way he's presenting, there's a, a shot where Jason Statham and, and Stephen Graham arrive at the halting site, and it shows them stepping over an old engine, you know, kicking Manure, a toy out of the way, yeah. seeing sticks on the ground, and then meeting Mickey's mom. You know, and going back to the fact that I don't think this is a sort of like well-written film, the the tone of the film is so light and and you know jumping along and it's kind of like this is happening to the point where even murders are presented as kind of um, exclamation points. You know, they're kind of funny. They're, it's it's you know Boris the Blade taking a gun and, and shooting Benicio del Toro and everyone going like whoa, or um, Boris the Blade later being shot by bullets through Tony but not dying. You know, he yeah. he shot like ten times. And then the only time I think where the tone really just John, Johnny the gun exactly. The, the only time I think where the tone goes really wildly off course is when Bricktop decides to like burn down um, Mickey's mother's caravan with him inside. And suddenly the sort of with like her inside, yeah, sorry. cheeky, choppy gangster film you're watching where gangsters are killing each other becomes a film where you're like, wait, so you've just burned an old lady to death? Like this, this doesn't seem in keeping with the rest of the film. And then the whole finale is sort of predicated upon oh yeah, if you lose this, you know, cheeky chappy boxing fight, I'm going to burn all your children to death. You know what I mean? There's a, and I think because it's just interesting how that's presented as like, oh, the um, the Irish traveler community are going to bear the brunt of my chaos if, you know, your little boxing match doesn't work out. The Having your cake and eating it too is exactly the point. You know, I, around the time, actually, I was looking as well about like the use of the word pikey. And the, there was actually a lot of UK cases where they decided that word was racially aggravated, aggravated um, threats, and so that now people could actually be convicted for using that word and then threatening people with it. 
Um, and it's just interesting that that was only like 2006, 2007, 2008, where you're actually seeing court cases about people using that word and then being prosecuted for racial, racially motivated hate speech. And then six or seven years previous to that, everyone was laughing and there was a subtitle track, you know, on a, a widely released studio film. Um, and it's it's just very, I, I know like time moves on and, and obviously, you know, we can have to sort of like realize that in the context of a particular time, everyone kind of maybe thought, oh, this is fine. But then going back to my own experiences with this, um, it was interesting watching in Ireland. I, I'd recently just moved to Ireland from Canada and certainly from the people I was talking to at the time, now there were other children, but there was this sort of pride in that there was this cool gangster film, but there was an Irish character in it. Um, but then there was also this sort of like weird mix of, oh yeah, but he is a traveler. <laughs> and it was just interesting. I remember people talking about like the character and everyone quoting like, do you like Dags? Which is like a Brad Pitt line. And people will still say that today. Margot Robbie yeah. like, um, says it during press for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, she was very fond of quoting it because she was sitting down with Brad Pitt. And it's like, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, yeah. And would famously kind of cite it in interviews. Yeah, I have to say that I I I, I used to get that um, a, a a lot, and I, and I, I I was actually not not annoyed about it. I would kind of go along with it when 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 I was in the UK. People like kind of quoting that because I'm Irish and saying do you like dags, and I, I was kind of like um, happy enough because because I quite like uh, uh, Brad Brad Pitt in this, and because I like dags. Yeah, um, yeah, and because it, it's just it, like I, I, I just, I just kind of found it funny. Not everything that British people said when I was living in the UK, making fun of my Irishness, were funny. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I, and, I, I, I was, I was okay with this. Well, well, that's the exact, the exact point we try and talk about sometimes when we can on on our podcast because the films like this do do a lot for how people then view a particular segment of society, whether it be Ireland or if it be a particular community within Ireland, um, such as Irish travelers. And I think yeah. this film is probably many people's entry point into Irish traveler culture. And I think that's a bad thing because this is so now in one sense, it's very broad and you can say he applies the same kind of lens to Irish travelers that he does Russians. To Boris you know, the Blade. Or, yeah. Boris the Blade or anything or else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think coming after... 30 years of, of sort of films, you know, portraying America and Russia. And I think audiences are inevitably going to be a bit more sophisticated to those particular stereotypes with an audience like this. And particularly, as Sean mentioned, he's designing this film to be as broad as possible for an international audience. I think it actually it's quite cynical then to sort of take the Irish traveler community and use that kind of stereotype and cast Brad Pitt and do all these little things and be able to sort of say, well, hang on, guys, it's not meant to be a serious film. Because twenty years later, people are still quoting "Do you like dags?" You know what I mean? Yeah. Would you think though? Would you think though that maybe Guy Ritchie, and we are in the spoiler zone, so Guy Ritchie actually takes the the idea of the uh, of travelers of, of pikeys, uh, and he actually makes them the victorious ones. And in his mind, that is in some way clearing himself of any besmirchment on their character, because uh, you know, at the end of the day, what, what I showed in that movie was that you know they were cleverer than anyone. You know, and they. No, sorry, I was, I was going to say that goes back to my point that, you know, all the characters in this, you know, kind of some of them end up rich, some of them end up in jail. But, you know, the Irish travelers, they, they had their community burned down. They had he had his mother burned to death. You know what I mean? No, but, but, in, so, but in Guy Ritchie's logic, they're the ones who at the end of it, they're the victorious ones, if you know what I mean. Like, but this kind of male competition that, to be the number one. But that's and I, I 
And I don't think that rings true because there's a part at the end where Jason Statham looks at the, the Irish travelers leaving and sort of says, uh, what little did I know that they were in on it the whole time, you know, that he was making bets against himself. And I remember thinking like, no, his mother's dead. Like, there's no way he was in on this the whole time. Like, that's, again, it goes to this idea that he's, it's sort of a bit of a cop out and that he's sort of happy to then stick on a cherry on top being like, but the travelers won some money. So therefore, all of this is okay. Then maybe you're getting yeah. to the points with, uh, with his representation of women in the movie. So there's like two women are the exact same, and one woman yeah. is just a a mother stereotype. Figure yeah, who has to exist as a plot device. Yeah, and then there's the book, the bookie, um, kind of the, the teller in the bookie who gets quite a, 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 a an all right sort of a role for for the small amount of time um, she's that she's screen. in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I would say, though, just about the, the Brad Pitt and the Traveller representation, um, I kind of sit between Sean and Alex on this, uh, where I think it's very much trying to have your cake and eat it, because it is casting the most handsome man in the world, but it's casting him in a physical, transformative role, which is designed to be, oh, look at how ugly he's becoming. Look at how hmm. he's showing his range as an actor. Very similar to, you know, the role that actors, pretty actors, take to win Oscars. Or these they're on in Monster, for example. It's like, look at how other he's making himself. And it is very much a kind of an exotic portrayal of the Traveller community. That said, uh, in terms of what Sean's saying, I actually kind of agree. And if one were being, and it's weird that I'm being so generous to Guy Ritchie, given I'm like, he's not a real director. He doesn't have an aesthetic or a particular viewpoint. But if I were being charitable to, to Guy Ritchie, what I would say is I think the film plays relatively well off audience expectations in that sense, in that you even have like that, that tonal thing that Alex mentioned, where it's like, the sequence of Angel by, you know, by Massive Attack playing as, you know, Mickey watches his mother burn to death as he's being held back and it's shot in slow motion. And it's actually notably less kinetic than a lot of Richie's other shootings. Uh, so I think the, the tone is very intentional there. But you have at the climax... Of the, yeah. At the climax of the film, right? After all this has happened, you have Jason Statham as Turkish saying... I did think he took the death of his mother pretty well. And the idea is that actually, yes, Turkish, who is telling this story and has been telling you this story and it's being told through his perspective, um, has basically marginalized Mickey's experience in there. Because the entire plot and climax of the film hinges on you as a viewer, much like Turkish as a narrator, forgetting that these characters have any agency or presence in the narrative, that they have their own agenda. Like, he, he, like, Turkish repeatedly points out how weird it is that Mickey is agreeing to all this stuff, how Mickey doesn't seem as bothered by the death of his mother as you would expect a real person to be. And then the yeah. film kind of turns around at the end and says, actually, gotcha. Turns out that they're, they've actually been doing their own thing in response to this. They've been, they have their own agenda. They've been organizing their own kind of ret retribution or retaliation against it. And I kind of wonder if that plays off the audience's assumption like as as audience members and again maybe giving guy Ritchie far too much credit here but that we're watching the movie and we're thinking ah these characters are just quirky ethnic sidekick characters they're just there to be an eccentricity they're not going to be integral to the resolution of the plot they don't have any internal agency they're just being moved around the board like pawns in order to get the plot where it needs to go and i kind yeah. of wonder if you're being charitable to the film would you say that like the assumption is that the audience is as caught off guard by the fact that, like, you know, Mickey has his own plan, that Mickey kind of does feel the death of his mother in a way that the plot doesn't suggest that he does or the plot yeah. doesn't need him to. And and that, that of course, of course, he didn't plan for for his uh, mother to be burnt to death in the caravan, uh, but also probably didn't plan to kill every East London gangster. <laughs> like, yes. Um, 
ever. Yeah, that, that, but, 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 but that, that, that is kind of their capability, and it's, it's, it's their kind of response to, um, to, 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 to what has happened, and it feels kind of just, and, um, and you do kind of celebrate it, I guess. Now, again, but, to be fair, that's its own sort of form of exoticism because you have that kind of, again, you've talked about portrayals of Irish people in film and particularly Irish travellers uh, in films, that sense of being canny or wily or untrustworthy or duplicitous. And I mean, you know, the film mm. is very, like, it doesn't portray them as villainous for being kind of untrustworthy or being sort of like, you know, keen to take advantage of a situation or to exploit, you know, sort of like another person's kind of naivety. Um, but there is a sense of that being a cliche that you apply to the travelling community that they are untrustworthy they are duplicitous they are people that you have to watch your back when dealing with and i think that yeah that is you know a broad cliche that is perhaps again very common to how other nations see ireland in general but very common to how even irish people i think see the traveling community and i think that Mm. is a very stock cliche portrayal of of kind of the community perhaps and i think like a film like this just concretes it you know i think in the one sense you know um ideas it's hard to sort of even extract my own um sort of understanding of irish traveler culture sometimes uh you know studied them in, in university and studied a lot of the culture in university but that was years after watching this film which was probably my first ever point of becoming aware of this community and the problem is is that i'd imagine that was the case for quite a lot of people and it concretes you know ideas in people's heads you know and i think if people say like even now, I, when I was looking around for this film, uh, Joe.ie or one of the websites had a uh, lots of stuff up because Brad Pitt was doing uh, interviews for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and every Irish uh, journalist was, you know, asking him like, "So, hey, Snatch, let's talk about Snatch," and it's it sort of shows that there is this anyone who you know experienced the film certainly in the way I did, it sort of does concrete your. Um, sort of um, ideas about what Irish travelers are in a way. And and some of that is probably based on, on stereotypes. And, and as we sort of discussed about Guy Ritchie's very broad version of what, of what this community is like, but it's, yeah, it's kind of like cake, you having cake and eat it too, which we've already kind of said a few times, but yeah. I think, I think we as, a, I'm, I'd say to that, that I think some of these stereotypes don't just apply to Irish travelers, but to Irish people broadly. And that we do want to have our cake and eat it. That that we are quite happy with this kind of characterization as us being like a bit a bit canny and a bit clever and kind of getting around things and being the small guy who's 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 able to kind of um, uh, 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 craft our way into big things. Like even in high finance, um, Ireland play that role as 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 the um kind of um clever Lovable rogue we lads who've who've who figured out all of these uh, us and like international kind of tax treaty loopholes and are uh, making away like bandits yeah. um yeah like like we're 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 a um yeah no, and so i think the, the film the, probably deserves a degree of credit for that that the Mickey O'Neill character is the smartest character in the whole film, is the character who seems to know much more than anyone else. It seems to like set things up in a way that, so, you know, three scenes down the road, that'll all pay off. But I think the only problem, as we've already talked about, is that he is also the character whose mother is murdered. (laughs) So this idea that he's sort of 
you know, the, the, the cheeky leprechaun jumping in between all the other characters and making it all pay off for him doesn't exactly play out if we get this long, slow shot of his mum burning to death. But have you, have you but not it, seen it, the, the special edition where Guy Ritchie inserts a scene with the mother at the end and she was never in the caravan? This no, time. yeah. I did kind of, watching it this time, I actually did remember thinking, you could have done that. Like, you really could have... She's in the passenger seat of the Jeep that he gets into at the end and they just sort of roll off. <laughs> I've been watching the, the silly um, Ocean's Eleven films, you know, and, and the degree to which every time the, the whole film sort of takes place and then at the end they're like actually all of that we were just pretending because we were doing something else that you didn't realize you know and brad pitts in those as this character who speaks in riddles and doesn't <laughs> you never really work out what's going on so maybe it's that i watched this this morning and then immediately was like yeah but is his mom dead or are they just going to like as sean says like they open the van at the end and she's in there like get in lads we've done it <laughs> <laughs> well it but it's it's using the there there are multiple axes of familiarity. So we've talked about it being similar to Lockstock, which is obvious, like it's a guy a Ritchie gangster movie, and it feels like a kind of and and not really a sequel, but kind of like that, and and it being similar as well to to Hannibal and having the 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 pigs. It's also uh, Twin Town has like an um, I think it's a, an exploding rather than burning down um kind of um caravan um as as a major kind of a plot point and it's also the point at which the kind of fun loving kind of cheeky uh, uh chappy main uh characters uh turn serious and for which the stakes get real and then it becomes kind of a retribution movie um and that that's the the kind of subplot here for mickey um that we don't get but of course like yeah that that's yeah, that's um, kept off screen and again yeah you know, if, you, if you're being generous you'd say it's kept off screen because it assumes the audience is going to treat him as a comic relief character even after that point um yeah if you're being uncharitable you'd say it's because guy Ritchie wants to get back to the quirky fun bantery stuff and doesn't want to dwell too long on a woman burning alive inside her caravan uh, you know and again trying to have its cake and eat it. of course go for it i've just found out about a film called once upon a time in london who stars, which stars the guy who played Errol, Andy Beckwith. And ironically, he's playing a Yank in Once Upon a Time in London. So, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a strange, and again, that's the weird sort of Guy Ritchie spin-off kind of comp- industrial complex, the Danny Dyer industrial complex, as it's known, which is that kind of weird fetish, sort of like sh- movies ending up straight in kind of DVD shelves and petrol stations there, there is a kind of weird subculture of Danny Dyer where, you know, Danny Dyer was never in a Guy Ritchie movie, I don't think. Yeah, yeah but we just assume he has. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but yet he, Danny Dyer became this kind of representation of you know the real culture, where the Danny Dyer world's you know Britain's toughest pubs, where you'd go into a pub and be like, "You better not come in here. We hit you with sticks," you know. <laughs> and, I mean, like, which is a sequence just, from Lockstock, by the way. That is literally yeah. a sequence from Lockstock, and it's just like, no, it's a Danny Dyer TV show now. That's the Venn diagram. But it's yeah. so strange because it's like. Guy Ritchie, okay, people saying authentic when, of course, it's not authentic. It's a, it's a cartoon. But then, the people who watched Snatch maybe thought, okay, that's how we're supposed to act. Then yeah. Danny Dyer comes along and makes this reality TV show where he's exposing the real things, but he's showing the cartoons because they've all watched the cartoons. You know, it's like yeah. it's like The Godfather. You know, like all the mafiosos, all the mafiosi in the New York watch The Godfather and think, oh, that's how we should behave. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they all start holding their heads, you know, the fingers to the size of the head and stuff, yeah. 
And kissing the ring wasn't a tradition. I, I actually read this thing about how, like, when The Sopranos came out, um, the, the like, Polly Walnut's hairstyle actually started coming back in New Jersey because people started being like, oh, you know, that's that's actually... I guess that's how I should dye my hair because I'm in the mafia. <laughs> well, I mean, it's that Breaking Bad, um, after Breaking Bad came out, they started seeing blue crystal meth using color dye because yeah. people had been like thought to believe in New Mexico that blue meant that it was pure. That's great because you had the, the like police and FBI having to issue warnings in kind of New Mexico saying, don't take blue crystal meth. It is yeah. not pure or healthier crystal meth. It is not a tourist activity. <laughs> don't come to New Mexico and try our exotic blue crystal meth as a result. But yeah, it's kind of it is kind of interesting how Richie kind of like exported this idea of Britain and kind of like I wonder how much of kind of how modern America sees Britain is down to uh, to Richie. Yeah, it's interesting because I also think that this is sort of the tail end of a lot of um gangster films in the in the 90s. Um you know, I already mentioned sort of pulp fiction and a few others, but it is interesting that you know, a film like Pulp Fiction, it kind of, I don't know, I feel like it wears it, its influences a bit more openly or something. It's a lot more like, you know, kind of this is a heightened universe from the very start. You know, our characters are wearing black suits and they are existing in a world that isn't real. And we're making that very clear and we're adding cartoon effects and we're doing all these other things. And then I think with Snatch, it's just it feels slightly different. And I think part of that is because maybe the way Snatch was received and going back to Sean's idea, because like every idiot I knew who liked to think that they were a tough lad and would like be involved in like petty crimes liked Snatch. You know what I mean? <laughs> there is the sort of like self-fulfilling idiotic prophecy to this that um, it's not genuine. But then people who think that may, they are genuine like it. So it becomes this sort of part of the whole milieu and everything. It's kind of interesting. Um, just in terms of Brad Pitt's character, actually, you guys do accents. Um, so on yes. when Iris is watching, you discuss accents. And do you want to talk about accents in general in this film? Although I think Brad Pitt's is probably the one that deserves the most attention. No, yeah. I'll just play our accent intro for two seconds. Because on in this town is none of your business. As long as I'm living here, it is. Then maybe you shouldn't be living here! Yes, accents. Um, I think it's interesting... Brad Pitt's is particularly interesting because we've actually had to talk about Brad Pitt's terrible Irish accent before in The Devil's Own, which is like, atrocious. So again, it almost feels like in the casting of this, you know, I need someone to sort of do this an unintelligible accent and I want him to be a movie star. Like Brad Pitt does take a lot of boxes for this perfect kind of casting like that. Well, fun, um, fun fact about the casting of Brad Pitt. He originally wanted to play one of the gangster roles. I think it was similar to Turkish or Tommy. But he discovered that he couldn't do a good London or convincing London accent. Um, so they actually yeah, so they reworked uh, the role of Mickey because apparently Richie had originally conceived as Mickey as this much more stereotypical yeah. um, Irish traveler depiction. Um, an overweight, burly man kind yeah. of in his late 40s who was covered in hair and stubble and stuff like that. Uh, which would have been a much different film and perhaps a, a much more uncomfortable film to watch. Might have, might have made more sense in terms of physics. Um, <laughs> the sheer mass of like one punch mickey basically well um, yeah like like you you can have these one punch guys but like it, it's it's it it's far less likely like the lighter they are but it 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 makes it more likely if they're fighting somebody the same size as them but as yeah, opposed to it, several times their own body mass um and it's yeah. actually interesting you see the six pack guys the six pack you know discounts all of that 
I think yeah. so. Well, yeah, we we yeah. we do. We do, we're 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 going we're going we're going to listen to you, Sean, because you're you're the 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 one doing Carlos. Um, uh, <laughs> really. Yeah. We're, yeah. As we it's record. Like, watch this movie. Brad Pitt is an aspirational figure. Um it's notable that again and again Brad Pitt talks about taking this. I think we, we talked about this briefly on Fight Club. Um how amazingly horrific the experience of Meet Joe Black must have been <laughs> for him. Because in all the interviews he did in press around um this lock stock and around sort of snatch, he was like, I just come off a big commercial movie and I swore to myself, never again. Um, so I wanted to do a small film from a first-time director, a second-time director. Um, but in terms of the accent, actually, and this is kind of interesting, is that he apparently, and this will surprise absolutely nobody, didn't have the accent figured out until 6 a.m. of the morning that they started shooting. He apparently phoned Guy Ritchie up the night before and said, Guy, I can't do this. You should probably do this. You can do a convincing accent. And he's like, no, 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 you'll figure it out. So apparently he went walking around London. He met a couple of um, British uh, travellers or British uh, members of the travel community, but he found that he couldn't imitate their accents. Uh, he noticed they all called themselves Billy Joel, um, actually, as well, because they didn't want their names associated with the production or anything to do with the film, which I kind of like as well. But apparently, yeah, he, he, he wandered around London for four hours uh, before they started shooting the film, talking to himself and eventually settled on what would become the Irish accent that he would use for this film. Uh, can I just of... say, can I just say, I love his, his, his accent in this movie. I think it's fantastic. The, 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 like, and Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt admits that he, he's not very good at doing kind of voices or accents. And I don't think he he has a an, an accent that's that's authentic or anything like that. But but kind of as a... Um, uh, cartoon character yeah basically. yeah yeah I, 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 it's it's a really it's a really strong uh choice and i think i i, I think it works uh very well it, it's 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 it, it works very well comedically and um yeah no no i i i quite enjoy it and and I don't know what are, what are, what are, what are, what are the rest of you think because because I I felt like we were kind of like premising a lot of this conversation around it being really bad and I I, I think it's great. Um, what just before we then talk about it there very briefly, just um, he also talked to uh, dialogue coach Brendan Gunn was actually hired to work with him, um, and they actually watched a bunch of Irish traveler boxing matches in order to get a sense of how they talk, and what. Brad Pitt said was, I want to talk like those guys. And Gunn had to explain that, no, no, these guys have had their noses broken and their jaws crushed and stuff like that from actual boxing. And that's why they sound the way that they do. You are not going to be able to imitate that, which is part of the reason why he eventually decided to make it up. I do also like that uh, Gunn, who's worked with celebrities, describes Jared Butler as having the attention span of a three-year-old, which just <laughs> is a detail that I kind of feel like, you know, I quite enjoy knowing about yeah. Jared Butler. Jared Butler is apologized. Um for his own his, his, yeah yeah that that's much worse than this yeah. i was hoping um, he just apologized <laughs> the man, but he's the man of today he's the man of today sean well, years ago. yeah fair point but what about yeah what about you guys in terms of the irish accent do we like yeah, it do we hate it I, I kind of agree with andrew to an extent as like the the accent is purposely bad and i think you have to sort of take it in the context of it's it's being done on purpose to be kind of unintelligible which in the film does kind of work and it's funny because i think brad pitt has since said that 
he'd been none of this rings true but <laughs> this has a, a massive stink of a public publicist came up with it but he said he based the accent on fred oh, rickwood father in ted. father ted you know the eurovision style host yeah who, who just doesn't like no one can understand him and i kind of think that that's kind of yeah that's funny because similarly like father ted you know in that that character and in that, in that particular scene you have someone who you know the accent is sort of being played in a very particular way for a very particular kind of laugh so i think it's yeah it's it's not the worst um to do that kind of thing with an irish accent you know irish accents can be unintelligible sometimes so there's no problem with that i think the problem goes back to this idea that it's sort of tied to you know the gypsies and things like that and i think it's this like if you go to the imdb trivia on this film i think there's some like horrible fact where they say like as he was playing a particularly scummy character, Brad Pitt made a point of not washing during the film's production. Like, I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah, like, it's more, I think that... But like the use when of you... scummy as an adjective in like I a know. piece of documentation, which is, yeah. So I think the problem is, is that the accent, unfortunately, does form part of that whole portrait. And, you know, it's it's funny because a lot of other Guy Ritchie films do things with language and characters not understanding something. And it's kind of interesting when we were talking about before Dennis Farina saying, speak English, you know, to a character who is from England. It's just, I can't really fully get on board with the accent because I think it does form part of the whole um, traveler character that they're going for. So, yeah, it's... Uh, I think I agree with you, Alex, and I also agree with you, uh, Andrew, because while the accent is problematic because it kind of concretes incomprehensibility as the salient characteristic of being an Irish traveler or being a traveler. And the second point, you can't stop yourself from actually trying it yourself when you're talking, you know? So I mean, we've all probably done Brad Pitt's accent in this to a friend or recited a line. So or on this goes, podcast. Or on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, we, we realize that it's problematic. At the same time, we love doing it, um, which might be a bit, say something about... Well, my inherent prejudice, but let's let's move on from that. <laughs> Speaking of accents, there's actually an interesting fact again. Don't know if this is true, but apparently the role of Bricktop was offered to Sean Connery. Yes. And uh, and he said, um, show me lock, stock and two smoking barrels. So they showed it to him and he was like, brilliant. You can't afford me, <laughs> which <laughs> pretty good. Can you do that in a, in a Sean Connery accent? You can't afford me. <laughs> <laughs> they should have said they were going to meet Michael Caine afterwards. That's yeah. apparently well, how you get Sean Connery they... to sign on for an appearance. <laughs> you that... say, I'm showing yeah. the script to Michael Caine, and he's not going to say no. I'll do it for a ha- like one million more than he do- what he's on for, yeah. So a million and one. <laughs> I can't. I <laughs> I can't do a Cockney action, but I I do a very good Irish action. Have you seen Darby <laughs> Gill? Um, the Untouchables. Don't forget the Untouchables. Yeah, oh, the Untouchables. <laughs> no, he he's 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 Scottish in the Untouchables, isn't no, he? No, he's Irish. He's Irish. He's Irish he? in the Untouchables. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's meant to be. I mean, like, he's it's... he's also a Lithuanian he... in like the Hunt for Red October. You know. Um... Does he not say typical? Yeah. Oh no, he he uses. Does he say? Does he not say typical Mick brings a, <laughs> a knife to a gunfight? Um, in, no, in the... I think he uses a different slur. I think a different slur. Okay, yeah, they're yeah. Italians, right? Right. Uh, yeah, that's what I was trying to get my head around. Like, before let's let's saying... not try and guess the slur. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> We're playing we play that really fun game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess, guess the, slur. the racial slur. <laughs> I do think Sean Connery would have been good as as Mickey, though. Like that would have been an incredible casting. Like all tattooed up, you know, a seventy year old Irish traveler, and everyone's like, "Oh, this guy can't fight," and then wham. 
Like, I don't know, I could have probably gotten bored for that. Yeah. The entrapments like worked very well with him playing, you know, the love interest Angelina to um Captain's Captain Jones. Jones, yeah. <laughs> He's still got it. Um yeah. that said, yeah, I do think that Bricktop kind of would have lost something if you cast him as a big star like kind of uh Sean Connery. And I think one of the things I do like about Snatch is that juxtaposition of kind of smaller actors and kind of actors who are known for other things, like Lenny James yeah. is in here, for example, as well. Um, and you have kind of like you have international stars, you have British stars, you have actors from EastEnders, you have actual gangsters, by the way. The guy who plays Tyrese uh, showed up as a security guard one day on set. And Guy Ritchie was like, you're in the movie, basically, because you have that kind of... Tyrone or Tyrese? Ty- Tyrone, sorry, Tyrone. Yeah. Um, and he was like on the poster as well, I recall. Like he was like... Yes. Um, and it, it was a good poster. It, it was like quite a clever look. It kind of ripped off train spotting, but yeah, it was a good poster. Uh, populated by completely secondary characters. I'm not even sure that, like, um, you know, sort of uh, Jason uh, Statham appears on the poster. Um, yeah, no, I don't think he does. Or if he but, does, he's, like, oh, no, in the is. background. Yeah. Oh, he is. Okay, he is. Yeah. He's, he's, on, he's on the poster. Yeah. We like, have, here's the uh, getaway driver, basically. Um, yeah, we have Frankie Fourfingers. Uh, we have Bulletproof Tony. Um, we have Cousin Avi. Uh, we have Mickey, Tyrone, and finally Turkish. No Tommy. Yeah. Um, yeah, which probably makes sense because Tommy doesn't really... It, <laughs> considering how good Stephen Graham either is or became, um, yeah, he doesn't get that much in, 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 in this movie. It's kind of like in, in Lockstock, um, you're surprised by how little Jason Statham gets to do. Um, There's a funny scene where he's host, he's pointing a gun at Gorgeous George and... They just froze the, the the scene to like give him this thousand yard stare instead of actually having the actor just sort of like point the gun and stare. They just freeze the freeze frame, you know, um, and it's it's interesting because it yeah it kind of speaks to the idea of like oh he can't really do that yet, so we'll just freeze the frame. We'll get we'll get we'll edit around it. We'll fix it in post. Um, yeah. actually, in terms of mentioning Benicio del Toro, and actually I don't know if we're still talking about accents. It's worth noting that Brad Pitt's approach to the character was apparently inspired by Benicio del Toro in The Usual Suspects. In terms of his willingness yeah. to actually make the dialogue incomprehensible to the audience, and uh, to Andrew's point, sense. I kind of I like that, and I do like that role in, in *Usual Suspects* because there are characters like I think it's fine to have a character who's kind of unintelligible and and kind of cocky about it, and everyone else is like, "What did you understand what they say?" I didn't understand. It's just with everything else um, with that character, I don't think you can be as you know in in *Usual Suspects*. He's kind of you don't know he's such a mystery you know it sort of plays into the whole the whole character all right um is there anything else you want to talk about with snatch anything that we haven't discussed already anything that kind of jumps out for people memorable scenes characters beats i yeah i I feel like i've been sort of tough on the film when when watching it again there are some incredible just technical points like there's this really fantastic scene at the start where two characters are talking on a phone and it does the classic split screen thing where you know one character picks up and then the screen splits in two but if you watch it, he actually like pans the character really cleverly as the dissolve happens. So you don't notice it. And it's like the kind of thing that you have to sort of think about how he did it because he's cutting the screen in two. But as he's doing that, he's actually moving the camera so that the character takes place is suddenly in the actual center of the new split screen. It's really brilliant. And there's a whole lot of different little tricks like that, which actually do show that on a technical level, Guy Ritchie does like know his onions when it comes to how to like set things up and stuff like that. 
And in terms of like its editing and visual storytelling as well, like it's very good. Like one of the things I really like about it is the continuous use of kind of screens and images where characters are constantly put on camera, on camera, as it were, particularly with like, say, the security footage and stuff like that, seeing stuff through CCTV and things like that. And even like the positioning of those so that it's kind of hard to tell, which I, I kind of like. And again, if I'm being very generous to Richie, I kind of go with this whole, it's a narrative within a narrative within a narrative. It's a story within a story. We're introduced watching characters on screens, kind of walking up to the office with title cards overlaid on it. We're kind of constantly in the jewelry store, looking at the security camera footage, which is showing us what's happening in the scene from an angle that's impossible because the camera should be in the shot and stuff like that. And again, it's all very, like Richie is for all his flaws. And I think he's a very snazzy visual director i think he's got a wonderful sense of energy and dynamism to his work um and i think that kind of shows through here i think it, it, it stands to his credit yeah you're i i you're the the barris the blade of of this podcast darren because you're very generous like barris the blade is incredibly generous because he's like you try to rip me off you can't rip me off but here's 10 grand keep your money <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I also quite like the way in which the camera moves with the gaze of the characters as well. So there's a sequence where they, Tommy and Turkish go to visit uh, Bricktop and they're walking in and they look down and they see the dog fight. But the camera moves with their gaze and then yeah. back to them and the scene continues as well, which is great because it's very much like you are seeing what they are seeing kind of thing, because it's very much this is a story that is being narrated to you and told to you. So, of course, you're seeing both seeing Turkish and seeing what Turks is seeing as well. And I thought that was kind of like a lovely little touch. I think it's a very well put together film. It's a very poppy, very energetic film, which is kind of why I like it as much as it is, despite the fact it's arguably a nothing burger. I was going to just say the soundtrack's really good. Um, it's, it's as I said, I've been watching those stupid Ocean Eleven movies recently, and they're like soundtrack delivery vehicles, I think. I think it's like you're making, like Soderbergh in the second one in particular, has just made a film around the soundtrack rather than the other way around. And I think this one, it's not quite that, but there are some really good uses of music and like bits yeah. that I was actually like, I remember this song and I remember liking it because I heard it in this film, yeah. Um, and just very quickly, another thing that I really like is the sense in which most of the characters end up pretty much back where they started, where the diamond ends up with Doug and Abby, despite everything that happens and the ensuing chaos that happens around it. And the sense in which Tommy ends up getting a dog at the end, which he kind of arrives with at the start, but kind of loses over the course of the film. And again, it's one of those nice, did anything actually happen? Does any of this actually matter sort of touches, which kind of mm. gives a hint that the film is at least aware of its own lightness. It's not pretending to be this kind of momentous or important or kind of like commentary kind of film. I mean, it's just like, except Mickey's mother's dead. Like, yeah, this is the point. one thing. I... <laughs> that That is a fair point. Touche. Oh, uh, briefly inappropriate smoking. Um, it's, uh, if you're, if you're <laughs> on the subject of Mickey's a... mother, yeah. If it, well, no. Sorry, if that you, was if inappropriate. Pre- I apologize. <laughs> <for that. laughs> yeah. Well, it was like. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's his 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 um, his mother smoking is bad for her. Yeah. And but also Mickey as a as a professional boxer should. Uh, um, He's a professional should. unlicensed boxer unlicensed bare knuckle boxer yeah yeah well i suppose that's part of the whole culture of of unlicensed amateur bare knuckle uh, boxing is he amateur I, I i feel like they're 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 making a fair amount out of it probably more than a lot of uh, professional boxers um i don't think he's declaring it for tax purposes though no <laughs> no no i don't think he is the the um yeah i don't it, it's um 
Sorry, but yeah, no, I, I wanted to I wanted to say that. Also the the, the um the scene the scene of the of the wake. Are there any chairs in that room? Um I think same place where they had the the fight, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems like the same, like like they've just saved a bit of money, uh, like um, on on that scene. It did, it didn't, it didn't feel kind of that great. Um, um, that 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 particular kind of um, shot, uh, it it just seemed a bit kind of put together. Sorry, yeah, but I didn't have much. Does Does anyone else want to want to add anything else, or did do you just want to save your Brett for cool and porridge. Very good. There, there are a lot of moments like that where a character will say something, like going back to the Irishness of it, where Tommy will say to the mother, top of the morning to you, Miss O'Neill. Mm. And how ironic oh. is that? Or how... Snake in the grass. Yeah, it's... it's Yeah, it's, it, it's not great. And I, I think for every scene like that and every scene where they're like oh it's not really like it's traveler english it's not really irish it's not re-english and you're kind of wondering is he talking about shelter is he talking about can't is he talking about no he's just sort of like oh this you can't really decipher this character and yeah it's it's but it's sort of so to um to darren's point it does sort of buzz along and it does kind of simultaneously it never really takes itself too seriously or anything so yeah it's kind of interesting kind of interesting Will we finish up, Alex, All right. with Darren um, and Bigora? Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's let's just do a quick. So, do we think this film has got a, a faith, or do we think it's got a Bigora in terms of its Irishness and its uh, portrayal of Ireland? Because I I'd have to give it a Bigora, <laughs> just straight out the gate. Usually, I'm quite um, well. Just for the spirit of debate, I might go against what Alex says. And this time it's going to be no different. <laughs> no, uh, I'd also give it a, a Bigora. I think that it's a, uh, you know, it's a very broad character, uh, stereotype of an Irish traveller and it doesn't really um, move things along in a kind of positive way. This is around the same time as Gangs in New York as well in terms of portrayals of kind of Irish people reaching American popular consciousness, which is kind of interesting. Um, it's kind of interesting that's kind of like a cartoonish caricature. Um, but yeah, I'd also go with a, a Begara in, in that respect, despite liking it a great deal. But it is absolutely maybe not not necessarily the most representative of Irish culture or tradition. And Andrew? Yeah. Well, I suppose that the, the growing up in, 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 in Sligo, um, I've, I've, I've never really had a... I don't feel feel like I've 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 kind of suffered from prejudice against the traveling community, in, in spite in spite of the kind of um, the representation that we that that we were given in Sligo not being particularly um, uh, I guess positive in terms of kind of meeting a lot of the 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 uh, stereotypes because like, kind of anyone kind of from Sligo or knows kind of that the, the 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 background there will kind of know about some of the the um, links to uh, to kind of you know crime and kind of antisocial behavior and that sort of thing but I also kind of I, I, you would also I, I would also encounter those people and felt like there was a certain amount of integrity as well. It's difficult. If it's difficult to say that it's that it's uh, that it's not faithful, or, or that it's not faith rather than bigora. But at the same time, um, I don't have the um, 
uh, as much exposure to um, to to parts of that community who 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 don't meet those stereotypes and who are actively working to 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 discourage those sort of stereotypes from existing. So um, yeah, I would say I would I, I would be inclined to say faith, but but maybe don't don't take um, um, don't don't take don't, it on faith. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, just from 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 my own perspective, and that's not from a perspective of of having something against that community. It's 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 is from from a perspective of 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 my own encounters being uh, primarily kind of um, uh, you know just uh, like yeah yeah. Sorry, I, 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 I suppose I won't say too much no, more. That's a good point. I mean, I was it. thinking. If you put it into context, what other um, Irish traveller figures in both domestic cinema or domestic television or international cinema or international television exist and are popular, you know? Yeah, that's what yeah. I kind of mean. Like, people aren't watching Pavi Lakin. Um, or they're watching, like a butterfly or whatever. Yeah. yeah, they're watching Snatch or they're watching Into the West. You know, they're, they're, that's, it's always going to be the way. Yeah. Or that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Hmm. <laughs> it's true. Or Traveller with Mark Wahlberg, which is more about American travellers, I think. But I mean, there has been in, in recent Irish cinema uh, a wave of Irish traveller movies or things that Irish... Like, and it's also within the, the crime genre again, you know, so you have Love, Hate, which has... Is it John Connors? Um, yeah. As an actor who comes from a travelling background and he played a traveller figure there. And then he kind of springboarded from that into... Got King of the Travellers. Yeah, there's a sort of gangster film. Yeah, that's all. That's actually a, a Hamlet. They actually like ripped off Hamlet for that. Um, if you watch that, uh, so it's the Lion King of Irish crime movies, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you have documentaries where he made a film. I made a documentary called I Am Traveller. So you you could make a case or a point and say that maybe Snatch brought a portrayal of Irish travellerness to mainstream audience that in the next generation maybe. 15 years later, led to movies more widespread acceptance of those lives being on screen. Yeah. And, you know, so you could make that point. So I'm not sure if I would. But you could. Yeah, it's like, it's like kind of stuff like the, the, the Godfather is sort of um, Italian Americans want to say, well, like, why, why do all these um, um, kind of portrayals of Italian Americans um, have, to, have to be of, of organized crime? But also, kind of Mario Puzo and um, Francis Ford Coppola not inventing the the Italian mafia either. So it's 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 a portrayal that has some kind of um, reference to 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 an actual culture that exists and not something that's kind of um, conjured out of nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 um, that bare knuckle boxing and the 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 kind of the the king of the travelers, as as you mentioned, the which I think does, does that always does that every year happen in Mullingar or does it move around? This is the 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 bare knuckle fight. I think there was like a problem recently with it where they, it it had to be um, dispersed or moved or something, but. Um, but yeah, that 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 maybe it's the most interesting um, aspect of 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 that community for a filmmaker to 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 want to kind of show. Well, I mean, um, also in the sense of being keyed very specifically to Guy Ritchie's sensibility, which is exactly men yeah. being right, men being, and I'm going to quote right here, a right geezer. Yeah, 
applaud. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, I, I suppose I suppose more more what I mean is that that these kinds of movies that 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 do kind of portray these these stereotypes are from from a from a very kind of a male perspective. Like Francis Ford Coppola or Martin Scorsese, they want to make gangster movies, and they're, they they so they 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 make kind of Italian American gangster movies. And this is whereas, something like that, focusing on the traveling community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas whereas maybe a a a woman making these kinds of um of movies would focus more on, on something a little less kind of um, violent or problematic. That may be an interesting segue then into as we reach the end of the podcast, giving some recommendations actually. Oh, but Darren, you didn't give it a Faith or a Begora before we move on. Oh, I did. I gave it a Begora. A very quick you? Begora. Okay, um, uh, it's begone, that Begora. Um, but yes. Um, so yeah, we kind of move on to the end of the podcast. What we do is we ask guests to recommend something for this. Now it could be something related to the movie that we've just watched or just discussed. It could be something that you're enjoying at the moment. It can be a film, a podcast, an activity, a song, just something that brings you joy and things might bring a little more joy into the world. So while Alex and Sean kind of consider their answers, Andrew, would you like to go? Um, Jim's, uh, sex dungeon. Um, they're doing uh, kind of like a, 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 a you can you can you can pay to kind of join a, a Zoom, um, and it's 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 not like it's not the same as it used to be. But they're doing what they can, uh, given these very difficult times. Well, so the Nevada um, Health Commission had to say, please don't hold any orgies during the COVID nineteen crisis, even yes, if you don't yeah. kiss. Yeah, it's yeah, still, it's still. Like right we realize you have a lot of time to like the only the only uh like uh, yeah they, <laughs> they have to release kind of details of like uh, no sex orgies unless all those people are in your household <laughs> Which well, that, I mean, that, that interrupted my lifestyle so much you know guys i mean <laughs> um i'd also like to recommend um an, an actual thing that exists um, it, the the crank uh, movies. Oh yeah, um, big time. Yeah, yeah. Crank, crank, and uh, crank two. Is it crank two high high voltage? Crank two yeah. high voltage. Yeah, yeah. So um, Jason Statham, like um, in in a um, in a series of movies where the, the where the director is really kind of plugging into their entire kind of. Um, creative um, horizons, and it's 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 incredible and unique. Like you won't see anything else like it. It's a good showpiece as well for Jason Statham and his kind of many many uh, talents. It's well. a good point as well. Like with Crank too, they famously like the directors apparently just told Jason Statham, "We're just going to have you say things as if it's Cockney rhyming slang." So he says things like chicken and broccoli. And it's just like made up. <laughs> and it's sort of similar, I think, to like talking about Snatch that, yeah, at least those guys kind of knew like, oh, no, no, we have we're just making stuff up as we go along. You know, they weren't yeah. doing press saying how authentic it was and how great exactly. it was to finally see British culture on screen. Brought exactly. to you by me, Guy Ritchie, the most authentic man who ever lived. And it, yeah. it, it, uh, we, we've spoken a few times about subtitles and I actually watched this movie the wrong way. Because whenever I'm watching anything on Netflix, I always have subtitles on it. Because sometimes, like it's the screen is far away, or kind of, um, or just just because it's there. Like you're watching this but, on a boat, um, aren't you? 
Yeah, but um, international. Jim's first cruise didn't go exactly as intended. Yeah, Yeah. I am Jim. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. (laughs) We're all standing on our desks. (laughs) (laughs) My captain. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, in in Crank, there is a moment where Jason Statham looks down at the subtitles and it's the wrong way around. Um, Yeah, yeah, um, that's uh, that's very enjoyable because he's he's trying to read the subtitles of what the other person is saying. Um, But because he's reading them and the camera is looking at him, the subtitles are are the other way around. Yeah, yeah is a lot of fun and alex what about yourself something you would recommend for listeners sure i mean it's hard to sort of like parse through all the like crap i've been watching since i've been locked up in my apartment but one that does stand out is um that netflix show everyone's talking about called the tiger king which i was sort of like this can't be that good if everyone's talking about it and then i've just like i think i started watching it at like 1 a.m on friday and finished it yesterday at lunchtime and now i'm thinking like <laughs> i watch that again um I think one comedian on Twitter I saw called it like his favorite Danny McBride series. And I think that's exactly (laughs) kind of the feel of it. And like going back to what we were talking about today about like authenticity and like, you know, oh, is is that realistic? I think that's a very good example of we actually don't know what we're talking about because sometimes there are characters who exist in the real world that are so, so, so bizarre and out there that you can't actually, couldn't possibly ever write and and capture it. And it's funny because I started watching the... um, the, the show and being like, do I want to cast Matthew McConaughey? Do I want to cast Danny McBride or maybe Zach Galifianakis? And then at a certain point, I just had to stop and be like, no, this documentary is so, so much better than any film could ever capture. So I would recommend that. It's on Netflix and, and definitely worth a watch. Um, cool. And Sean, now that you're back, quick one for you. What would you recommend for uh, listeners? Oh, I... Um, what would I recommend? Two things. Well, the first thing, which you all know, is Revolver. If you enjoyed this this movie, you can track down Revolver. Um, have, have listeners passed their sort of beginner Guy Ritchie appreciation test, and are they ready for the more advanced reading list? I would, After I'd, that. I'd, say, I'd say that viewers... You've given them their first little hit of heroin, and now they're... <laughs> well, we've all probably imbibed a lot of Guy Ritchie things already, because he's he's directed so many, like, five or six blockbusters... That could have been directed by anybody, you know, like Sherlock, um, uh, King Arthur. You may have watched these movies without knowing Guy Ritchie directed them. So I'd say now that you know the aesthetic of Guy Ritchie, which I think is on Snatch, um, the revolver is like the deep dive into his subconscious. So I would say go for that. Uh, I think it'd be a very enriching experience. Enriching, Ooh. very good. I would say um, I'd say he's, he's your guy. He's your guy. Uh, and the second thing I'd recommend is the music of Burt Bacharach. Um, so just put on the greatest hits of Burt Bacharach and, uh, that'll kind of make you feel good when you're feeling down. Good stuff. Uh, in terms of two quick recommendations for myself, cause we actually were talking about like female directors and seeing Guy Ritchie films through female perspectives. Uh, first one is Float Like a Butterfly, which is Carmel Winter's, um, actual kind of Irish traveler boxing movie. And it's funny cause Andrew was saying, you know, maybe if women were making movies about this community, they'd be making movies about different things. It's like, well, Carmel Winters actually makes an Irish traveler boxing movie, but it is very, very much focused on a, on a young woman and her experiences and her kind of life within the community. It's what we're seeing while we're sticking out. If you want to kind of a, perhaps a more grounded, um, 
and more realistic portrayal of that community from a female perspective. Uh, in terms of other stuff, the best Guy Ritchie movie of the year so far is probably Birds of Prey, Kathy Yan's um, Harley Quinn movie starring Margot Robbie. Um, which I actually really, really enjoyed. It does suffer from what I described as Guy Ritchie syndrome, which is that hyper-layered plot that Alex mentioned, which is seven things happening at once, which are all very simple, but which the movie makes seem complex by having overlap and kind of looping over itself repeatedly. But I really, really enjoyed that, and it is available on streaming now. Um, Why did you call it a Guy Ritchie movie, though? Was he, like, produced it, or just thematically? Oh, no, just thematically, in terms of structure, in terms of storytelling. It feels very much like a Guy Ritchie movie. It's very much a caper movie. It's all about a diamond that was stolen, and characters competing for the diamond and their narratives kind of overlapping and kind of like there's a lot of uh, I bet you're wondering how I got into this situation or wait I'm telling it wrong let's go back or the thing you don't know about this character is and I think it actually works very well capturing the energy of something like Lock, Stock or Snatch as opposed to um, you know his later film like The Gentleman for example so I would yeah. recommend that. Is there a wave of filmmakers or a filmmaker who very consciously uh, or and blatantly and explicitly says oh yeah Guy Ritchie's snatch was very influential on my filmmaking has anyone ever come out with that i don't know i haven't i haven't googled it and kind of found it but i do kind of wonder if you're doing that would you not go one step further and just say tarantino is hugely influential in my filmmaking don't kind of go back to the source and kind of go prime or even like tarantino's influences are huge on my filmmaking but that's Um, what i mean about like i think i was quite getting into like the idea of, of this was an early film for me about this idea of, oh, God, this is so different to everything else. But then nearly as soon as I found it, people were like, what are you talking about? You should go watch Pulp Fiction. Like this, <laughs> this yeah. is just sort of coming after the, the, the real, the real the world. 90s boom. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, then. So if people are looking for a bit more uh, when Irish eyes are watching a bit more of Alex or Sean in their lives, particularly in this time where people are kind of looking for more entertainment and maybe want to kind of go on a deep binge of, say, Irish cinema, where can we find you? Yeah, we have um, whenirisheyesarewatching.com where we've listed all our podcasts. I'm currently trying to pull together a few more. I've been saying that for a long time, but uh, and it's harder harder now with the coronavirus to actually quality, do Quality, not quantity, Alex. But uh, that's true, quality, not quantity. But yeah, there's about nearly, as I say, 42 episodes where we talk about lots of different films and stuff. So we obviously don't have as many as the uh, 250. But um, yeah, that's uh, uh, the, and they're all on iTunes as well. And we have a Twitter account. But whenirisheyesarewatching.com is, um, is the place to find everything. Perfect. I will include that in the show notes. Um, if you're listening to us, you can find us online at Stitcher on SoundCloud on iTunes. Uh, we'll be back next week where the wonderful... Tony leave a review, Blum. by the way. Oh, yes. Please, please feel free to leave a review or share or help get the word out there. It really helps kind of get eyes or ears in front of our podcast, which is nice. It's, um, it's interesting seeing our um, kind of user statistics because they, they, they show us as well, even like where people are. It'll give like, uh, if you're listening to this right now, we can see your precise coordinates. It's like we're ordering a drone strike. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, Um, I I would be careful of saying drone strike about us talking about movies for two and a half hours, but uh, (laughs) please have them alone. Um, But yes, uh, we'll be back next week. The wonderful Tony Black will be joining us to talk about The Wages of Fear, continuing our world tour, bringing the world to your ears in terms of podcasting. If you want to watch The Wages of Fear, in the meantime, it is available on the Criterion streaming service. It's also on Canopy TV as well. You can buy it from Amazon. It's also available on Google Play as well if you want to rent it there. Darren, how many of these streaming services do you subscribe to? We've only got like three, yeah. Okay. The question is, how many are there? (laughs) <laughs> Tyrion, I mean Amazon Prime I'm at Netflix many of them are you do you subscribe okay. so I'm on Netflix I'm on Amazon I'm on Vudu I'm on Shudder 
I'm on um, Criterion. I'm on Mubi. Um, so that's what six. Oh, I'm also on Disney Plus, they, which is they, seven. If anyone wants to subscribe to Crackle, there's a Snatch web series starring Rupert Grint, actually. So yeah. Oh yes. They all sound like they are, with Snatch, they, yeah. They they all sound like fashion drugs. Uh, when am I gonna kick those new fashion it's like, well, streaming services? I'm, yeah. I'm I'm on Crackle and yeah. I'm on yeah. Movie. What the hell is movie? Uh, yeah. Canopy. Yeah. Canopy. This great. Disney Plus is making me really thirsty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yes, so, oh yes, Sean, I am on, on far, far, far too many of these is the answer to your question. Uh, but yes, we'll be back next week discussing Wages of Fear with the wonderful Tony Black. Take it easy, guys. And until then, take care of yourselves and others. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.